0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Robert Yanis II. Welcome to the Crooked Round Table of Hamilton. Enjoy my show. Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman... Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by Providence Impoverished, and Squalor grew up to be a hero and a scholar. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob, and after spending the past few months developing into an epic Hamill fan, I was not about to throw away my shot to talk all about Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tony-winning musical, which of course hit Disney Plus back in July. So I assembled a panel of fellow Hamilton aficionados for the first ever Crooked Roundtable, and we have Michael Hinman, Candice Kaw, and Mandy Lake making her Crooked Table podcast debut, uh, all participating in a roundtable discussion. The Lady one, uh past and future guest, was also on hand to join that conversation, though technical difficulties stood in the way. So here is what you're in for. You're about to hear a Crooked Roundtable discussion, all about Hamilton, spoilers included, for spoilers for history and the Got Milk commercial, I guess. And then at the end of the episode, after that conversation, Me and the Lady Juan touched base to to get all her thoughts on Hamilton uh, as well. Before we get started with the episode, I want to encourage you all to go and vote. There's a reason I'm posting this right before Election Day, and I would really appreciate it if all of you engage as much in the current state of American politics as we do in uh, the story of the Founding Fathers being told in Hamilton. So without further ado, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for the Disney Plus version of Hamilton and then we'll get right into the crooked roundtable ladies and gentlemen welcome to the show the ten dollar founded father without a
1: This is Hamilton.
0: Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast. This is Rob, and this is the Zoom where it happens. And by it, I mean, of course, the first Crooked Roundtable where we're going to be talking about Hamilton, the 2020 Disney Plus film, and the obviously Broadway smash that uh, that led to it. So to discuss Hamilton, the $10 father without a father, I have a panel of special guests. So I want to go around and have each of you introduce yourself and share a favorite lyric from the show. You may recite or sing slash rap your choice. Uh, And I will start with Mandy, since you are the first one, uh, the first time on the podcast, I will let you have first dibs.
2: Nice. Well, hello everybody. My name is Mandy Lake and this is my first time on any podcast. So I'm very excited. Um, my favorite line came from a song or the song Dear Theodosia because this came out when I was on maternity leave and so I was in the hormonal cloud and I was holding my baby daughter and I heard Dear Theodosia and I w- it hit me really hard. So my favorite line from the song is, is we'll bleed and fight for you, we'll make it right for you. If you lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you, we'll give the world to you, and you'll blow us all away. So that's kind of how I feel for my daughters, and just I love that lyric. So,
0: right, nice, yeah, awesome, awesome pick. Uh, Mike, go for it
3: uh i'm michael himman um i i used to do podcasting but then i I retired because uh nobody listened to me so uh you know that's one of those things if nobody listens to you then you know you know then you're just talking to yourself and i can do that without the setup so uh you know and all the production work so uh you know but i'm a journalist i I'm, i'm in new york city um you know for my first year in new york city i actually rode the a train all the time which is kind of funny because because I think that's where parts of uh, Hamilton was actually written. If you uh, look at the uh, the theater notes, he you know one of the thank yous is to the A train, so you uh, know <laughs> goes right through Washington Heights. So uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, I think probably like my favorite line, and I'm definitely not singing or rapping. But, uh, you know, and, I, and I've used this on Twitter a few times, especially, you know, during some of the battles between New York City and New Jersey that you see on, in the Twitterverse. But uh, my favorite line is, everything is legal in New Jersey. So nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that one sticks out to me all the time.
0: Good call. As, as someone who's born in New Jersey, I appreciate the shout out. Uh,
4: Candace. Hi, I'm Candice from the Kiki Waffle. That's our podcast. And Robert is a frequent guest. He's a guest waffle, And lately in my head, just the lyric from the Brindle pamphlets keeps coming. You ever seen somebody ruin their own life? Like I see something in the news and I'm just like singing that in my head.
0: I mean, I feel like I could have literally gone anywhere with this question (laughs) because it depends on the day. It depends on the moment and different lyrics hit me in different ways. I like the virtuoso moments. So the, uh, one of the ones that I, the ones that are the most challenging. So, for example, I'm in the cabinet. I am complicit in watching it, grab and empower and kiss it. If Washington isn't going to listen to discipline dissidents, this is the difference. This kid is out. Things like that. Like basically everything David does, yes, is is amazing. Um, which will which we'll get into. So, uh, I guess anyone who wants to jump in, what is you know, we'll go around and be like, explain what was your first experience with Hamilton prior to the Disney Plus version coming out? Had you seen the show live or, or anything like that?
4: Um, I listened to it nonstop. <laughs> I think that was meant to be. Um, the soundtrack, because one, I'm a musical theater geek. And also I am actually like a Hamilton fan, like the actual historical <laughs> figure. I had like a historical crush on him which is weird, <laughs> I know. But I minored American history and I was taking a course called Age of Jefferson and I was like, all these guys are just like, bleh. But there was something about Hamilton and his story of being an immigrant that just like really like got to me. And I was reading the biography before freaking Lin-Manuel was, I would like to say. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I did see it in, uh, when they toured and came to Tampa. And that was an amazing experience.
0: Nice, yeah. I hadn't really. I tried to listen to the soundtrack prior to seeing the movie, and it was. It's a hard. It's a hard thing to really get into without having the proper context. That was my thing. So I was just like, I'm sure I would love this if I had seen the show, but it, it was. Yeah, it was hard for me to engage really? with until after I saw the movie.
4: I that loved it a- from like the music.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, man, Mandy, anybody? Yeah, somebody. Exactly how
2: I felt my husband loved the soundtrack, right? And. I tried listening to it and I just could not get into it. I'm a very visual person. And so Mm -hmm. I could follow along once I saw who was each character and I could assign the voice to the person and I could see it in my head. Then I listened to it later and I, it made so much more sense and I loved it, but listening to it just didn't do it for me either until I saw the show. So can I say my first exposure is that we're doing? Yes,
0: please go for it.
2: Okay. So we're going to rewind a little bit. Rewind. Um I -hmm. had
0: it's gonna happen the whole conversation, I can tell.
2: Yes. Yeah, in in 2016, and we were struggling to figure out a name for her. And my grandmother's name's Elizabeth. And so I said, How about Eliza? And my husband said, Oh, that's gonna get super popular. I was like, What are you talking about? He goes, Oh, Hamilton is blowing up. It's going to be all over, blah, blah, blah. And I grew up in Connecticut going to shows in school. We went to Broadway for chorus field trips. And I was like, really? One show every 10 years becomes big. I said, no one's going to care about Hamilton, you know, in a couple years, whatever. So it was Eliza for her name. And then we found out later the Disney Plus version of the show, that the recording, was actually recorded the day she was born. So it's oh, kind of crazy friend. that June seventeenth, 2016 was one of the days. And I was like, wow. So Eliza is actually a very popular name now. And I like to think we had a part of that. You know, we were ahead of the curve.
4: Before. No, Mandy, when I met your baby, I kept going, Eliza.
2: Yeah. So I would just like sing. <laughs> you, did. you did. I remember that. just yeah. took baby pictures of Eliza and she goes singing. And I was like, what the heck is this song? And Colin's <laughs> like, oh, it's Hamilton. And I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, so that was our Wait. first exposure
0: you you didn't name your second child angelica so that's what i
2: was like i can't ride that all the way i I had a student named angelica one year and she would joke all the time like they needed a peggy in class and they could bring eliza in yeah (laughs) and we joked about it but uh we we say amanda eliza and charlotte the lago ladies nice (laughs) the three of us so
3: awesome mike I mean, um, you know, when Hamilton uh, was really coming out, and stuff. I was out of the country. I was actually living in Grenada. Um, but one of my friends in Grenada, she was a huge Hamilton fan, and she would actually fly back, you know, fly into New York City every time she'd get a break and go see a show. Like she would get tickets and go see it. And uh, I mean, she had far more money than I did, obviously. And uh, you know, and you know, but she was, a, and she would play it like all the times. So whenever we would ride around somewhere, she'd be playing it. But I have this whole policy ever since Rent. Um, I have a whole policy where I will not, not listen to a soundtrack of a musical until I've actually seen the musical. Um, and that's because I listened to the Rent soundtrack so many times before I actually saw it that when I did actually see it, it was kind of a disconnect. It was weird, you know, because I had my own picture in my head and, you know, how everything all worked. And all of a sudden they were presenting something totally different. So my whole thing was I would never watch it. But I also didn't think I would be into Hamilton because I'm old, you know, and it's like, I don't know, that's a lot of lyrics in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I loved rap when I was a teenager, but it was a lot slower. So, you know, it was, I don't know if I could, you know, if I could take all of that and and then also deal with the historical inaccuracies, which is what I always struggle with, with anything that, you know, is produced for stage or film, you know, when they do something historical, you know, of course, they're going to dramatize some of it and, and, you know, do some of the differences. I mean, I love the concept of it. Um, And so, yeah, I, you know, when I actually, when it came on Disney Plus, I was, you know, debating whether to watch it or not. And I decided like, you know what, I'm just going to sit down and try to watch the first 10 minutes of it. And, you know, and if I don't connect in that 10 minutes, then I'm just going to turn it off. Um, not only did I watch it all the way through, but then I watched it two more times, like right after that. So, um, you know, I just you, you really get into I really it. Get like you. Yeah, you, you fall into it like <laughs> so quickly. And um, and then once you do it, then then of course you're eating up everything about it. So I kind of understand like where the the fan hysteria has come with it because there's so much there, and every time that you listen to it, there's because there's so much involved with it. Um, I mean, I would go online and look up like people breaking down the musical theory of it, you know, right down to like how the songs were written and, and everything else. And you know, I'm not even a musical theorist, like I, I I don't I don't get into that usually at all. But I was so fascinated by how this was put together and just how beautiful it was, you know, and it's just, um, you know, it's just one of those, it's just one of those weird, crazy things that, uh, you know, now when I get like a dollar bill, you know, like I say, that's not George Washington, you know, who's that guy? <laughs> you know, because, you know, George Washington is a lot different looking for me now. So it's, um, yeah. you know, so everything about that, I just, you know, I just really thought was, you know, it was very different. And, um, you know, and it was just, uh, it was, uh it's kind of a surreal experience and when you you know when you watch it that first time it's like one of those things in life where you only get that one chance to do something for the first time you know or see something for the first time and you know for me seeing hamilton that first time you know is is definitely one of those milestone life moments that you never forget because it's just to me it's like one of those really really special moments
0: yeah for sure for sure. I hadn't I hadn't really gotten too familiar with it. Like I said, listened to a little bit of the soundtrack here and there. But at one point, either just didn't want to spoil myself, like you're saying. Like, I didn't want to really dive into it until I was able to experience it the right way. And this is as close as I'm going to get to seeing this cast, for sure. It, it does paint such a different version of history in that the, you know, the sort of the creative license that Mike was referencing about how they, they Mm -hmm. change this, they make changes to history, to the story. And then of course, the fact that we're seeing a cast entirely, you know, of people of color in the main roles, with the exception of Jonathan Groff, as uh, King George. What what do you all think that the the story gains from that decision? How does it reframe the the story of uh, you know, the founding fathers and, and mothers and the beginning of the nation?
3: Well, I mean, like for me, I think that, um, you know, just like I was saying before, is that now what I'm seeing these historical figures. I'm not seeing them as they originally were, you know, it's, mm-hmm. and I like that idea. You know, I know that there's some people who have an issue with, you know, with casting, you know, people of different ethnicities for historical roles. But I don't see an issue with that at all. I mean, I think that that's perfectly fine to do. And I think that it's perfectly fine to recast it because, I mean, it's it's not history. You know, Hamilton isn't history, even though there is a lot of history in it. It's a story. You know, it's anecdotal. I mean, there's a lot of changes to it. Like the Schuyler sisters really did have brothers. So, you know, Angelica didn't have to look for somebody who was rich. I mean, you know, those are all story elements that were put together, you know, and I love this idea because, you know, I I love this period of history and, you know, being in New York city, I, you know, you get to see that all around you, you see like Hamilton Heights, you see all these different, you know, places, even that they mentioned, you know, in Hamilton itself. And, you know, but it's, it's funny because now I don't think of James Madison as being, you know, that, that stuffy white guy that, you know, you always see in photos, you know, or, you know, even Hamilton himself, you know, it's just, you know, now I just can only imagine him as Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, and I love that idea because, you know, I think that it, it really, you know, helps, I think, bring diversity into History where diversity doesn't really exist um you know the the only fear that i have though is that you know by making it diverse in the past is that we might lose sight of how non-diverse our history really is you know and really like how you know immigrants how people of color you know were treated during that time period which wasn't you know which wasn't very well at all so um you know they definitely weren't in leadership positions and they definitely weren't doing those things and you know but i mean you know, but I, I do I love that idea that you know that we can make that more diverse and that we can you know bring other perspectives into it. and I love that idea it brings
0: the story to life, I think, and makes it feel relevant because if it had been more like seventeen seventy six the the old musical they made into a movie back in the day. That that would just would be a cast of stuffy white guys like I Google these characters just to, you know in, To see how the history compares to the to hamilton and i'm always like, oh, yeah, let's try right. it's a boring white guy Damn, <laughs> it's just it's disappointing a little bit. Uh, mandy care to weigh in on On uh, the the way in which the story is told and then obviously we'll get to the music
2: I kind of think it's a snapshot of history and it's played by our current history right now so it's you take a bunch of people that make up what America looks like now showing what America looked like then. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I interpreted it. It's kind of surface for me, but that's kind of how I felt like it's just what America looks like now showing history. Right. So
0: with with the with the music of of now too. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and the attitude and the culture of now. Yeah, for sure. Candace.
4: I see a lot of people using the term like colorblind casting, but it's like really more like color conscious casting they say Mm -hmm. and honestly like from what i've read is that they didn't really put like anything specific down of who was going to be cast but that's a great thing about theater is it uh, there is more diversity i feel like like before frozen clothes we had our first black elsa and there there's just so much more open in theater than I feel like in TV and movies. And I feel like this opens it up to a lot more in the future.
0: Well, by that token, what if they did cast white people in these roles? Like what would that, what version, how would that rob uh, the show of its intent? And, and uh, you know, the reason behind Lin-Manuel writing it, like would Cause I, I personally don't really like that idea. So anyone who, you know, what, what, how would that violate the, the purity of, of the piece, I guess?
4: Well, the thing is like specifically, like there are people, oh God. Okay. Let me try to figure out how to word this because okay. it is a delicate topic.
0: It is. That's why I was like, um, and someone else, I just throwing it out there and letting someone touch it. It's how, Integral to the piece of Hamilton and Lin-Manuel's intent is it that he that it is people of color because you know would like would anybody ever dare to try and put white people in roles other than King George and or what would that do to the show because I think bad idea but I wouldn't be surprised I mean we're living in Trump's America so it wouldn't surprise me if someone tried to throw that out there.
4: Well, just one of the things is a lot of the music is hip hop and hip hop. Mm-hmm. It was developed by black and Latinx artists. Yeah. So that's a huge thing. And like Mandy was saying before, it's a reflection of America today. And yeah, it would be really awkward to celebrate these white politicians who were all slave owners and mm-hmm. racist. And yeah. To quite enjoy. And it's not the, the whole thing about Hamilton isn't the historical. Factor of it. It's about telling a story pr- from a different time that we mm-hmm. can all relate to in a way.
0: Yeah, totally. Man- Mandy, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I mean, I think definitely it should be. Majority of people of color for sure, but I don't mm-hmm. think people should be discounted by uh, based on the color of their skin either. And if a couple right. people were white, I don't think it would be a detriment to the show, but I do understand the reasoning behind the casting for sure.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, and, and here's you know, and here's my you know, my take on that is that there's so much out there you know, that's white centric. There's so much available. Like if you're a white actor, there's so much you can choose from where if you're an actor of color, there isn't, you know, so for me, it's like, when you have something like this, when you, when you've established something like this as a production, you know, featuring people of color, I think that that it needs to stay that way. I mean, and and I really do. I mean, I'm not saying you can't ever, you know, cast a white person in some of the roles, but you know, I, I think that it would be like taking, you know, you know, taking something where, you know, the, it was originally developed as a way of of providing more opportunities, good, solid, great opportunities, you know, for actors who are overlooked, whether it's people of color, whether it's older women, you know, whether, you know, all kinds of, you know, I mean, you know, Hollywood and Broadway and everything, they, they have this way of just ignoring large groups of people and just focusing on very specific groups who seem to get all the great roles. And I think that it's important that once you've established that you have, you know, something like this, that you keep it that way. And I, I mean, I'm very, I'm very big about the purity of, of the create the creative process and that and what Lin-Manuel Miranda was trying to put together. And, you know, and for me, even if it was like 50 years from now, and you know, I will be alive because I'm immortal, but like, you know, and I see this again, you know, I want to see this in a way that's either, you know, that's either, you know, with people of color or celebrating diversity in a, in a way that Lin-Manuel Miranda intended for this to do. Right. Candace, it looked like you had something you wanted to say.
4: Yeah. So I was just looking up a, Study done by the Asian American Performers Action Coalition, and in the 2016 2017 season, 66.8% of performers were Caucasian.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that includes Hamilton in there. So,
3: right, this has a lot. I mean, that really does have a lot yeah. right there. Yeah, it does. Yes.
4: So, yeah, like Michael was I, saying, it's there's yeah. already so many roles out there for white performers. and
0: I think the show also benefits from the contrast between the rest of the main cast and King George being like the sole Caucasian actor of the main 10, basically. Uh, but that, yeah, go ahead.
4: Oh, and just like, honestly, like I have seen a lot of musicals in my time, but like, I feel like this is like the first time like in a professional sense I've seen like an Asian uh, a lead actor as like Washington in the tour And that meant a lot for me to see, you know, it's just having that representation really does matter. And yeah, I'm really surprised it's that low, even with Hamilton in there
3: yeah i mean i'm not there's a lot of plays out there and they're very you know like if you go up and down broadway even though right now everything's shut down and it will be i think what till next may now i think is what they're may, talking yeah. about but yeah. um you know but if you go up and down i mean you'll see you, you see a lot of broadway plays you know whether it's on broadway off broadway or even the theaters you know that are around it and you're going to see a lot of white leads you know i mean i don't get a chance to, you know even though i live in the city I, I really don't get a chance to go to a lot of uh musicals or a lot of plays at all on broadway i mean in fact a Last one I went to was Network with Brian Cranston, but once again, white lead, mostly white cast, you know, and it's just, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. And, and, and it shouldn't be that way. I mean, I think that, you know, you know, that I think our theater and I think that our art should should, you know, be representative of the audience that, you know, that exists for it. And, uh, you, you know, and I think that sometimes, you know, Hollywood, especially and Broadway, that they kind of fall down in doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Are, are there, other than the, you know, the race of the cast, is there any changes or embellishments to history to, to the way this actually went down back in the day that, that, that you feel, are there any that you feel negatively impact the show? I know, Mike, this was something you wanted to talk about. There is some, there's some skirting of details, you know, with the Schuyler family having sons with, there's some speculation whether or not, uh, of the kind of romantic Tension between uh, Hamilton and Angelica There's the sort of uh, hinting uh, uh, speculation And, and uh, unclear relationship between Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence in history Like were they really good friends or were they lovers? Like it doesn't, it's never been confirmed But there's sort of evidence to indicate that Is there anything in here that you, like What, what do you feel negatively impacts the the drama of the show and the narrative?
3: Well, you know, I don't think it negatively impacts it. Like when I when I get nitpicky in history, it's because I am a history buff. I know like some of the other people that are on this, you know, on this podcast as well that you know, and I and I take history very seriously. But I also know that when you dramatize history, when you tell a story, when you turn it into a narrative that it is going to become anecdotal, you know, and the best stories, even historical stories are anecdotal. That's where legends end up coming from and everything else is, you know, because you kind of, you, you have a lot of truth there, but you mix in some stuff to kind of make it more interesting because really, if you were just to do just a, you know, just a straight through historically accurate telling of this, it's not as fun as it would be by mixing in some other elements and making it a little more dramatic. So like having the Schuyler sisters, you know, be just sisters and with no brothers, I mean, yeah, that's historically inaccurate, but it's also, I I think that it's, that it also works well in terms of, of, of creating that tension because without that, then you don't have, you know, Angelica pining over Hamilton, you know, in a great song, you know, satisfied, you don't, you know, you don't have that whole idea of, you know, I can't love you, but I'm going to introduce to my sister. And as soon as my sister meets him, then, you know, she's falling for him. And now I got to step back, you know, and, and having that, that kind of angst that's there, um, you know, you, you wouldn't have that otherwise. And, you know, so yeah, I, I think that as long as people go into something and understand that, you know, that, that yes, there's a lot of history here, but you should also do some research and, and and understand exactly what the real history is. You know, some of these elements it's okay if if, if they've been changed because you know history isn't about all this minute detail. It's about the mm-hmm. overall story, and I think that's exactly what we get. And I think that the overall story, the overall message that Hamilton provides, even from a historical perspective, is very accurate. You know, it's very spot on. Yeah. I mean, this is somebody who was so brilliant that he pretty much created his own downfall. You know, he was he was like the Marty McFly that you couldn't call him yellow, you know, and, you know, he would go all the way out of his way to make sure that you, you, you didn't, you know, that that you that he wasn't like put down or he wasn't disparaged to the point where he would disparage himself and destroy himself before somebody else could do it.
0: (laughs) There was a great, uh, I don't know. Some of you may have seen this. There's a great uh, drunk history segment with Lin-Manuel talking about the Reynolds pamphlet and again, kind of explaining how that all went down. And it's, it's, it's really fun to watch, but yeah, I I think those, all those changes heighten the drama and then hip hop, Adds that other level of engagement that you know you makes it feel fresh, makes it feel relevant, makes it makes people now care about the the story. Then my three year old can tell you what year the Battle of Yorktown is because she knows the song so well. See, so, so Mandy, as a you know as a teacher and as someone with little ones, how do you feel about the way that this you know history sort of being remixed? Uh, where there's a literal turntable on the stage um, and how that, uh, you know, what, is there anything lost in that process or is it, you know, worth it for the greater good?
2: I don't. I think it's worth it for the greater good. Like anytime you have an adaptation, it changes and that's fine. You've got to, it's like when you have a great book series, it becomes film. Okay. I'm looking at you, Harry Potter, or I'm big into Outlander and you've got to take the book for the book, the show for the show so Mm -hmm. we've learned all sorts of facts and trying to frame the revolution in a way that a four-year-old can understand it is kind of difficult (laughs) kind of like when i was in college i taught in england on the fourth of july and they wanted me to explain the fourth of july to second graders but my daughter eliza is very much into music and has been since she was in utero and so it does not surprise me at all that when we're listening to the soundtrack she'll pick up on words and say oh what was that mom or what were they doing here? And when Angelica says, yeah. "You disgust me," you disgust me, and Burr says, "Oh, so you've discussed me?" I'm trying to explain yeah. to her the difference in the words and everything, and I think that's genius. I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it, it, it helps you not only have an appreciation for history, but also language. Just, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and obviously some of the language son of a whore and, and well, uh, I mean, but, bastard but, and like some of it's, I'm like, eh, the from, Reynolds sing,
2: of it. I fast forward and I'm like, yeah. there's bad words. We cannot listen to this.
3: <laughs> well, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. but even, but even in like the, you know, in the wordplay that that's where some of the historical accuracy right. comes into play too, because you know, there's like one or once or twice where Hamilton just ignored history just because of some good wordplay. Like, you know, in the beginning when uh, Hamilton first meets Aaron Burr, you know, they do the whole burst or, you know, aspects and um, you know, and, you know, Hamilton talks about punching out a burser, you know, in uh, at Princeton, which Hamilton would have never done. I mean, he's not a violent person; he would have never done that. But at the same time, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda didn't want to give up this whole kind of fun, you know, burser, you know, word. Play that he had yeah. with it, so you know. So sometimes you know, and, and, and even in television and stuff. Like I remember, you know, if anybody's ever seen Battlestar Galactica, there's a you know, there's a major scene you know toward the end of the series where the the ship is falling through the atmosphere of this planet. You know, then it jumps away so they can launch their their fighters into the planet's atmosphere. And um, and I remember I I, I would talk to the science guy on the show quite a bit, and um, I can't tell you his name right now because it's been a long time. You know, but he, I asked him about that. I said, wouldn't that rip the ship apart there's no way that that ship could could withhold you know could withstand that that, the pressures of of falling through the atmosphere like that he goes oh yeah that would tear the bitch apart but the whole thing was it was so cool that i said yeah go ahead go with it so sometimes you just have to go with it
0: (laughs) right candace any any thoughts Um, on all
4: this Just a quote from Ron Chernow, who wrote the biography, he says, I think he plucked out the dramatic essence of the character, his faulting ambition, his obsession with his legacy, his driven nature, his roaming eye, his brilliant mind, his faulty judgment. And... Something that I've also seen is that this has gotten people interested in learning the full truth or the complete truth about it. There are so many documentaries now, people listening to listening to the Ron Chenovel audiobook. It's read by Lin-Manuel Miranda, I believe. So mm. that's cool. It's kind of like a little introduction. Oh, you like a little taste of this? Want to find out the true story? Go for
3: it. And by the way, the uh, autobiography of Lynn Manuel Miranda is probably going to be read by Weird Al Yankovic. So,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I
0: would uh, I would be fine with that. It, well, Weird Al would have to sing it, though. That's the thing uh, with his uh, with his uh, accordion, polka style, poker style. Um, so, I, I mean, for me, I I'm I love hip hop already, and I you know this made me more interested in the story. It's, it's basically like a uh, schoolhouse rock with, uh, you know, with F-bombs and infidelity and all this other stuff. Um, so I, I love all that, that you can basically listen to the instrumental album on Spotify, which I've been doing quite a bit while writing, and it plays like a Dr. Dre record at, at times. Um, is there a particular song that uh, really sticks out to you all. There's 46 uh, tracks on the soundtrack, so lots to choose from. And mine, personally, sort of shifts from day to day. Is there any particular one that that you find yourself going back to?
4: What I find really interesting is that Lin-Manuel gave what could be considered the best song, Wait For It, to Aaron Burr. Mm -hmm. And it just, every time... I get I get chills in certain parts of that song, but like you're right, it just goes day to day. What song you relate to?
0: Yeah, someday you feel like a Hamilton. Someday you you feel like a Burr. Um, Mandy.
2: Yeah, I still love Dear Theodosia. It's kind of one of those ones that people kind of skip over, and I just I love that.
3: Uh, Mike, I mean, there's three songs for me. You know, and I'm sorry, I'm not good with song names, so you know, so I apologize for that. I'm not really good. We'll we'll all know
0: it. Just go, but, um,
3: (laughs) but there's, but there's three instances, like, you know, one's actually a trio of songs, but, you know, but like, you know, it's like the first time we meet, you know, all the guys in the bar, you know, in the pub in the beginning, you know, where the Mm -hmm. rap is so kind of, you know, everybody else's rap is kind of very old school because, you know, they, they haven't, they haven't quite developed that voice yet of, of that modern rap. Um, and then you have like all the king george elements because the, all the king george stuff is done as 60s pop songs just to show you how out of touch the king is like everybody's moved on into modern rap he's still stuck in the 60s you know doing beatles like yeah, songs da, 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 you know da. yeah <laughs> and um okay. you know which i think is fantastic but then also when jefferson first comes back in the beginning of the second act you know he's doing kind of a you know, kind of a, I don't know, it's like an RV like number. He, number. Like a jazzy number, yeah. a jazzy number, because he's been away for so long, you know, that, you know, he hasn't realized, like, he's kind of yeah. out of touch with, with the way people are speaking now, too. And I love how the music can say that without somebody else having to say that, without having to have, have a character say, oh, he's out of touch. You know, we get it. By the musical cues that, that these are people who are kind of out of touch or growing, and you know, and you notice as Jefferson, you know, as Jefferson moves on in the second, you know, in the second act, that suddenly he starts getting more and more into the modern rap thing. So you can see them right. build into that. I love that kind of, you know, th- those kind of storytelling cues where you know that, that it's inferred and that you have to just be be listening and be listening very closely in terms of of picking up those nuances.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, I, and I think since. Uh, For me, one of the ones I keep going back to, and I guess this kind of goes into um, another question that I had, which is I really find myself constantly going back to The Room Where It Happens, which feels like a very basic answer. Uh, Wait for it. It's Mm -hmm. another one that I I revisit a lot. Uh, Just because The Room Where It Happens feels so relevant right now. I mean, one of the lyrics I almost did at the top of the show was, uh, we want our leaders to save the day, but we don't get a say in what they... Trade away. away, Yeah. Uh, yeah, Which is feels like the political world right now. Is there any how has Hamilton and you know, for me, this has been such a distraction from everything going on. I've been just obsessed with with the show for months driving my wife uh, crazy. And uh, (laughs) since July, what how has this shaped your perspective on this upcoming election and the political uh, sphere right now? Like, has it had any impact since so much of this is telling the story of the beginning of our nation and it feels like we're still dealing with a lot of the same issues. Mandy, you can go first.
2: All right, um, I have voted in pretty much every election I've been eligible for, all the presidential ones. I'm talking the ones I've skipped out like, the primaries. I voted in all the ones that count. And having two daughters, trying to be a role model for them and showing, especially my four year old, let's go vote, come with me, you know, show how important that right is. And so I wouldn't have missed this election anyway. But the fact that I've got someone looking up to me now has made it even more important for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can, I totally feel that. Um, Candace.
4: I don't know if it hasn't quite like, Affecting me the same way because I have been listening to this since like 2015,
0: 2016, like repeating, Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm catching up with five years of, of Hamill fan, uh,
4: Yeah, I checked my, my iPhone and you know how you can tell like what your top 10 songs are that you've ever played? All Hamilton, all of it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I, there's always, but there's always, like I was saying at the beginning of the show, there's always lyrics that just come to my mind, like we are fighting for our nation's very soul and everything like that that just mm-hmm. comes to mind every time I see a new headline
0: There's also a purity in the way in this story and the way it's being told that everything right now in the news is very depressing in a in a way from both sides i mean and it's it's very frustrating, but i still so I still get chills every time in Yorktown, when they're like, we won, we won, we won. And everybody, the company all, you, you know, and harmonizes the world mm-hmm. turned upside down that moment. It's, it, it makes me feel patriotic in a way I felt in a, in a way that I wish I felt in real life right now about the state of their country and where things are, you know, heading or, or where they currently sit. Um, Mike, any thoughts on, on the political ramifications of Hamilton?
3: Well, you know, I know a lot of people want to go with the national politics, but what's kind of funny is um, you know, because I'm a newspaper editor, you know, um, you know, here in the Bronx and uh so I've actually it's it's funny because I mean, I have to write a lot of editorials as an editor um, you know, and, and it's not a easy thing to do sometimes. And, uh, you know, and you piss off a lot of people, sadly, but that's part of, you know, we're not here to make friends. We're here to kind of uh, point out the things that people don't always want to hear. Um, but I always try to make it a little bit fun. I always try to mix in like pulp culture references. So, um, I tend to mix in a little Star Trek once in a while and some other stuff, but you know, usually, you know, a lot of people don't get that cause they don't, you know, they don't watch Star Trek. They don't know, but it was funny. Um, a few weeks ago, um, I was actually talking about a, uh, Uh, an event that took place where the state assemblyman um, his son is running for city council so he basically did this this whole political rally, more or less, you know, with his son in tow, basically, you know, to, to help campaign. And then the city, the actual existing, the sitting city councilman, who should have been the one leading all of this, was kind of like the third person in tow. So I basically said, you know, that that, that left the councilman relegated to the Peggy Schuyler role of this trio. And, <laughs> and that's all I said. I didn't say anything else about that. But, I mean, you have no idea how much response. I got from it. I was like, oh, my God, I really love the Hamilton reference that she made, <laughs> you know, in the, uh, like, even the Assemblyman, when he was really pissed off about it, mentioned the Hamilton reference that I made, you know, which they thought was kind of unfair, but it's like, I don't know, I mean, everybody got exactly what I was saying, which is great, I didn't have to spell it out, like, everybody understood what I meant when I said that he was stuck in the Peggy Schuyler role, so, I'm sure everybody do, got do a it, chuckle with it, like
0: I did, so. <laughs> do any of you feel that there that Hamilton takes a particular Partisan side, because I feel like for me, I feel like it does a pretty good job kind of representing the not only the the both parties in in the story, but also Hamilton's perspective and Burr's perspective and how those sort of contrasting philosophies kind of intertwine and 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 intersect. Uh, Any thoughts on the two of them and how they represent such opposing viewpoints and also sort of the partisan commentary, I guess, of, uh, Hamilton.
4: I feel like the whole show isn't quite about politics is about philosophy. While they do discuss certain things like helping out France and Hamilton puts, takes pot shots at Jefferson for having slaves. And the reason the South is that there's actually a whole third um rap battle but it's on the mixtape that is just about slavery which i kind of understand why they didn't include it because it's already a long show and it didn't really add too much to the story itself but yeah i feel like it's more philosophy based than political based
2: i could see that too for sure just watching it again this afternoon I i could see that exactly candace
4: Yeah, like the whole thing is like Burr doesn't want to take a stance. And he, what is that saying? It's like, if you're a friend to all, you're a friend to none. He's like, he's not willing to. While Hamilton is more instinctual and loud. Yeah, loud. There's a happy medium between the two characters that I think makes you a healthy individual. But they're just two sides of a different coin.
3: Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Mike. I mean, I think you have to be careful when you do a play, especially if you want to have a play that's going to, that's going to last longer than, you know, than our lifetime. Usually, you know, you want something that kind of stands the test of time. So, you know, you want it to be something that doesn't necessarily address what's happening right now, but something that could apply to whatever's happening at the time. So there's a lot of things that come back around as, you know, maybe from the 60s and 70s where it's like, oh, that feels, you know, relevant again, you know, for some reason because those, because they're telling, they're taking approaches that aren't necessarily tied to, you know, to a specific time period, but. Is something that can also, you know, come and relate to something else, you know, that we can tie to it. You know, obviously the politics, you know, of, of the 18th century, the late 18th century are much different from the politics of today. The issues that they were dealing with then are definitely not the issues that we're dealing with now. So, you know, so, I mean... I. I think that, you know, where, yeah, I mean, you know, lin while Miranda is, you know, is a pretty liberal guy, um, you know, so was many of the members of the cast. And we saw that when Mike Pence decided to show up for the show, which I don't know why he did. Um, I guess Mother let him out of the house for a little bit and uh, let him go do that. But, um, you know, but, uh, I mean, I, I think that you can watch Hamilton, you know, without, you know, without feeling like, you have to defend your own politics. I mean, unless your politics is racism and white supremacy, you know, I think right. that you, you know, that it's a pretty open door that, that people can find something in there, you know, that does work for them, you know? And I, and that's what I think helps these plays stand the test of time.
0: I think, yeah, it makes it timeless. And that, like Candace was saying, they personalize the, whatever your political view is, it's, I feel like it's represented here in one form or another, but it really focuses more on, well, should you be the, the go-getter who just blindly goes after what you want or should you wait for it? And I, I, I love that because I, as a creative person and an introvert, I find myself often kind of struggling between wanting to be more like Hamilton, but feeling like I kind of fall back in bird territory. I, I really, I really love that those, they're, they're kind of dual parallel journeys uh reflect that about one another and the fact that you know the movie the, the show movie whatever really plays up the fact that they you know they started at the exact same time burr even sings at one point and and really you know embellishes their rivalry to from what is actually in history where to the point that at the end in in your obedient servant hamilton has 30 uh, uh itemized list of 30 years of disagreements uh do you guys do you feel like even though they're both lead characters and since Hamilton's the title figure of the show, it positions you're naturally inclined to want to slip Aaron Burr into the villain category? Do you one, do you feel like Aaron Burr is technically a villain? And secondly, which of the two do you identify more with, Burr or Hamilton?
4: We have a high school education of History. You only know Aaron Burr as the dude who shot Hamilton, Mm -hmm. if you even know who he is. So he's always been the villain in American history. And the fact that, okay, and he says that. He's like, I'm now the villain in this story.
0: The villain in your history books, yeah.
4: Yeah, exactly. He does not bounce back from this. And it's hard to... Pick either side. And like I was saying before, there's a middle ground between those two characters that it's good to to be passionate about something, but it's also good to take your time and sometimes wait for it.
3: Well, you know, and this is all, you know, and and the presentation of Aaron Burr and Hamilton is a presentation of two extremes. And what you notice at the Mm -hmm. both extremes is that there are some positives. You know, you saw both of them rise up and achieve the things that they want to achieve, but it's also self destructive for both of them. You know, I mean, you know, Aaron Burr's approach was self-destructive, you know, Hamilton's approach was self-destructive, you know, and it's, and I think that there's a lot of commentary in terms of, not that it's a good guy versus bad guy kind of thing, but it is kind of an opposing, you know, extreme viewpoint. And so like, you know, and I think kind of the lesson you try to take from that is that you do have to kind of find more of a middle ground between that. I mean, you know, in my line of work, you know, I can't just, I can't just be sitting there and wondering, you know, if you know if every elected official in my area is wants to be my friend in fact I don't think I'm doing my job if that's happening. You know, if, uh, if one elected official likes me for too long, then I'm not doing my job, you know, that there has to be a point where they're pissed off at me for some reason, or, you know, angry at me for some reason. And I mean, but that's part of what I have to do. And, but I can't go to a certain extreme to where I just blow it up to where, you know, that, that we can't ever bounce back and start working together again. You know, that's not supposed to be a permanent thing. So I think that there is a, a big discussion about, you know, how, you know, visiting different extremes, you know, whether it's an extreme on, you know, of challenging everybody who challenges you no matter what, you know, even to your own detriment or never challenging anybody. And, um, you know, yeah, and just kind of being there, yeah. you know, just yeah, just kind of being brought along and dragged along. You know, it's just that's what you're you know, I think that's that's kind of a little bit that we're getting from these two characters. At least that's what I yeah, get you from can- it.
0: You can't always write like you're running out of time. Basically, Candace, you wanted to say something. Yeah,
4: I just wanted to ask you guys: who do you consider to be the main character, Hamilton or Burr?
0: Ooh, uh, I should Eliza. I go ahead first? or someone have an answer? No, I, I, I,
3: Eliza. yeah, Eliza
4: could also be the main character.
3: I consider Eliza I think, the main character because yeah. I think it's her story. You know, like yeah. I, I feel like you know, even though we're not told that till the end, I feel like this is Eliza's story. You know, and I feel that where I where I'm crying the most at the end of this, and I do cry through Hamilton. You know, oh, is the, every time. Use the final song. I, you the know? Last, and I like the last
0: thirty-five minutes, constant, consistently. Basically, I cannot
4: yeah. play the last song. <laughs> I yeah. have only cried two times in public. Well, watching something. Once was the and the second was the Hamilton, and I was sobbing to the point my mother, who went with me, was getting embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, when I listen to the soundtrack, for the most part, I'll get, to pa- I'll get to, like, the Reynolds pamphlet, and then I'll be like, all right, time to no, We're out. done. Because, we're because done. yeah, from that point on, it's just, like, burn, and then, you know, blow us all away, okay. and then it's quiet uptown. From that point on, forget mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, so, so totally.
3: But that's why Liza, though, I think there's... it's to me. Character, because I think that Eliza is the person you know who really is telling the story, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like Eliza being the central character. I mean, a lot of people think just because you're the title role like, that you're the main character. Well, she's you know, also the not, title
0: role, technically. Yeah, she yeah, is she, in you know, Hamilton.
3: A, yeah, she is a Hamilton. You know, that's right. Is it is it, ne- is it necessarily Alexander or, or is it Eliza? Right? Right. And I think that, and I love that, and I love that that I love. Um, you know, I love t- approaching Eliza as the main character because I think Eliza is a character that most of us connect with. Like she's that medium, you know, she's that medium between you know Alexander and Aaron Burr you know she's that 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 calming voice she's that the person who seems to that know what's going on and and is actually probably the smartest person in the room in every room that she's you know that she steps into you know and then she's the one that didn't allow herself to self-destruct instead she you know she came from the ashes of, of both of those self-annihilations and built something even better you know mm-hmm. and i love that and i love how that the, the the musical takes that approach yeah so for me i think eliza's the main character all the way through
2: I agree. Yeah, it
0: ends it ends on her. I mean, I think there's arguments for obviously Alexander Obviously, I think like we've said eliza I think there's an argument for aaron burr in a way I've I read something where leslie odom jr said that he was approaching the character in As if aaron burr is sort of stuck in purgatory and he's reviewing The events of his life and sort of trying to see where it went wrong to to kind of uh, figure out what his tragic flaw was, where where you know where it all went so awry that now he's the villain in our history books. And I think that's makes a lot of sense if you look at the story that way, considering he is int- introducing the story uh, to every event. He's the narrator, yeah. He's the one that's like, oh, you know, uh, oh, Hamilton's by himself, I'll let him tell it, that kind of thing. Like It's him sort of reviewing his life flashing before his eyes sort of deal, like the moment before does. So I think that yeah. those three characters are all equally compelling, but
2: yeah, can I never thought ahead. of that, but I can understand that being in purgatory. I like yeah. that kind of take on it. That's interesting.
3: I mean, I feel yeah, like I really, I'm in hell, but then Hamilton came out in the middle of me being in hell, so I was like, did I realize I'm not in hell? <laughs> I'm just, you know, like there's still some good things going on thanks to Hamilton. Right, exactly. <laughs> You'll but always have Hamilton. Me,
2: Rob, that cracked me up. We talked about how the second half is so hard to watch. The first half of Hamilton is like, oh, great. We're going to revolution. We won. Woohoo! Then intermission happens and it's like, oh great, googly mooglies. Everything's mm-hmm. gone to shit. <laughs>
4: like, yeah. Jefferson yeah. comes in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what did I miss? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, and and Burr kind of keys that up when he's like, gives you the the transition little exposition. And he's like, Are you ready for more yet? And then kind of delves right into it. I I think um I think this is sort of a good place to mention the cast. We had there's ten main roles uh, or ten main main actors, I should say, playing a lot of them playing double roles. Seven Tony-nominated performances, three wins, uh, including Leslie Odom Jr. Like we said, but is there a particular actor in here who you see as the MVP of uh, of Hamilton? Again, this is one of those questions like the song that I feel like could change depending on my viewing or or listen. Um, but I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say.
4: I mean, obviously. Leslie is amazing and he has two of the best songs from where it happens and wait for it. But Mm -hmm. um, Philippa Sue is like, kind of like the heart and soul of it. It's just, they're just all amazing. They're all freaking amazing. And I also love how they double cast the characters and how those characters are, are related in a way. So, yeah, I can't pick. I can't pick. That's an impossible question. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, no, I was going to say for me, it's probably Leslie. Like, I think Leslie makes. Leslie. I, I actually saw some, some video on you. All I've been doing the last few months is watching YouTube videos about relating to Hamilton. So, I saw some video where they were talking about this very question. And one of them said that, like, when they see. Leslie Odom Jr. they don't see Leslie Odom Jr. they see Aaron Burr, whereas when you're watching the show, you're very well you're well aware like, oh, there's lin Manuel playing Hamilton. you know it doesn't you don't lose the actor doesn't lose them him, themselves in quite the same way as, as what Leslie does here with Burr. So and I, and those two songs you mentioned are two of my favorite songs, so I think that's a big part of it. Um, but we haven't even, we haven't really been talked about David Diggs or Renee Elise Goldsberry or anything yet, so I wanted to see what uh, Mandy, what do you? What do you think?
2: I am firmly in Eliza is the MVP of the show. I was going over your questions of my husband who, like I said, introduced me to Hamilton right. and he is firmly in the Angelica is the MVP of the show. Okay. He is his favorite sh- uh, song is satisfied. That's what it is. Yes. I knew like it yes. flew out of my head as soon as I of talking about it. Yes. It's satisfied for sure. He loves it. He thinks that's the best
0: song of the whole show. So, how does your Eliza feel that her dad likes yeah. Angelica better than Eliza?
2: I don't think she's paid attention to that. I should ask her. I'll get back to <laughs> you on that. For corner, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Al-
0: yeah, Eliza and Angelica are both up there for me. It's 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 a toss up. Mike, poor MVP. Peggy, poor I Peggy. know. Poor Peg- well, I think I mean I really like what uh, Jasmine Cephas Jones and and uh, anthony ramos and all of them do i really appreciate christopher ja- like every time i listen to the soundtrack and i'm in one of the zones i'm in an eliza or uh you know or a david zone or wherever and then i, re- I remember how great christopher jackson is as uh, george washington oh. yeah yeah exactly where he gets a yeah, like, actually- rap concert introduction and was like yes. ladies and gentlemen
2: you, you
0: yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs>
2: no,
0: I, I love that's it. Actually,
3: uh, but that's actually, you know, I mean, because I have two stand. I mean, it's hard because there are, I mean, I think every actor is amazing in this. But, yeah. you know, but Christopher Jackson does stand out quite a bit for me. Um, I'm a big, you know, and, and it's just hard to translate on stage. So when you're seeing it live, you don't really see this. But by by seeing the televised version where they're able to do close-ups and everybody was able to do facial expressions. Because to me, the best acting isn't necessarily what you're saying. It's what your face or what your body language is saying. Thing, you know and that's probably coming from me as a journalist who pays so much attention to body language but like but i love the elements that christopher jackson brings into the role of george washington um you know just that that he feels like george washington from the very beginning he embodies that you know from the way that he seems to take command of everything you know in his leadership skills where he's not as big of a dick as he was in like you know in john adams you know if you right. you know when you saw john adams and how washington kind of comes across there um you know and and then in parts like you know at the end end you know when they talk about you know you know when eliza's talking about you know the slavery aspects of it you know when george washington is there you know christopher jackson deliberately does like this whole kind of you know like ashamed look where he looks down and backs away because you know of george washington's role in that and so i love that and then you know and then the other person of course you know you know jonathan groff because of you know it's just that i've i've watched online some of the other uh king george's and I'm sorry, like it even even based on the original soundtrack, King George, or Jonathan Roth did, um, the the version that they do, you know, in this play is the best by far. You know, just and I don't know if it's because they can they can zoom in and the facial expressions you know and and he says so much with his face but everything about that like you know the way he shouts you know you know one of the lines and and, and just the way he stares you know just at different points of the audience without really looking around but he kind of like drills into you with his eyes and everything you know those are nuances that you don't really probably get from the stage version you know it it has to be you know like something that's filmed where you can get close-ups like that but I think that those kind of things are brilliant that you know that the fact that that you're putting so much not into what you're saying and how you're saying it, but the, the, the looks that you're giving the body language that you're presenting um that's what makes it believable that's where you know to me that's where a characters become truly believable is not just saying the words and saying the words well but the body language people always say why does Meryl Streep get so much attention for everything that she does it's because of her the, her body language that you feel these characters not just in what she says and how she says it but in what you see from her so um you know and I think that's a that's a huge element that sometimes get lost in acting and you know. And I think that Chris Jackson and Jonathan Groff, they both do a really good job of, of presenting that.
0: Yeah. That point that you just made, Mike, about how other King Georges don't quite hit that same level. It's, it's something that I've wondered, like, as, obviously, as I said, I haven't seen this on stage and eventually when the world starts spinning again, the world turns right side up again, I guess I will, I fully intend on going to see it on stage. Uh, but it makes me wonder if how much of this show's success depends on this cast and the template that they created. Like that's why I'm so thankful that they were able to film this and release it for everyone to see, because we're never going to see this group of of actors together again, likely uh, at this point. And I wonder if something does get lost, if if, if it's, if, if uh, the same lightning is able to be caught in a bottle with different people doing the same material. Like, I feel like it's that marriage of material and this specific group of group of people that made this such a phenomenon. Candace, go for it.
4: Um, well, the cast does help. The touring cast was amazing, too. Okay. It's still a brilliant show live. There's that energy that you don't get when you're sitting at home watching it. And they have different takes on everything. And yeah, like you guys were saying, Leslie is Aaron Burr, but the actor who was Aaron Burr still encompasses him in a different way. He's still that confidence, kind of arrogant walk and things like that. And I still felt this connection and I still felt like, yeah, that was Hamilton, that's Eliza. Other actors can bring them to life and it just goes to how great the writing is. And the choreography and the stage design of the moving stage, mm-hmm. it's just everything. It's brilliant.
3: Yeah. Well, and that, I think it and helps. It, yeah. And it's a good point, too, yeah, is that, that you can fall in love with other actors playing roles. I mean, you know, uh, two plays that I always would see when I lived in Tampa all the time, and I would wait for the traveling shows to come around, and two that I would always see multiple times when they were there were rent and billy elliott you know and that's because i wanted to see all the different casts because you know there's there's multiple casts that they bring with them because it's not always the same actors every night you know billy elliott because of the kids they have to have like three different actors who are playing it on a regular basis so i'd at least see three of the shows with the three different actors and you know what it's brilliant it, it, and i love doing it and i love seeing different interpretations you know of of these characters from different actors. So yeah, I love Leslie Odom. I love Lynn manuel Miranda. I love, you know, Christopher Jackson. I love all of these people, but I also would love to see other people's interpretation of these roles as well. And so, you know, yeah, I don't think that, I don't think it hurts it at all. I mean, yeah, they have a lot to live up to, but I think that there's some great talent out there that really can, you know, either live up to it or create something of their own. That's just as enjoyable.
0: Yeah. I don't, think I don't really have anything else to compare it to. <laughs> Go ahead, Manny.
2: Yeah, I don't think it would have lasted this long had it not been able to succeed with others playing the roles. Like, definitely, yeah. they had a great jumping off point. I'm not trying to dis- to say that. It's just right. Yeah,
4: I, Chicago, I just, like, L.A., yeah. London, touring company. They're yeah. it's all around the world right now. Well, yeah. well it was. It was. Well,
3: it was, don't forget yeah. the don't forget the actors that Robert has trapped in his basement that he makes perform Hamilton for him every day. So say it like Jonathan Groff. <sighs> <laughs> I knew <it>. Yeah, exactly <laughs> Um, have no, yeah, wondering I mean, where Lin-Manuel Miranda's been And we know where he is now, he's in Robert's basement <laughs> um,
0: I think the the fact that I haven't seen any other version And the soundtrack obviously is the same cast I, it, For me, that's, that's maybe something I'm worried about That when I go see it live That, it, that it's going to not feel the same And the fact that most of these actors With the exception of Jonathan Groff Obviously from Frozen and Glee and things like that uh, most of these in Lin Manuel, Mary Poppins, and stuff, and obviously everybody knows who he is. Uh, I, I wasn't really aware of Philippa Sue or Renee Lisa Goldsberry or uh, or you know a lot, Anthony Ramos or except for the fact that he's supposed to be in the Heights if that ever hits theaters if theaters ever reopen. Um, so yeah, so that's something that I'm I'm really interested to see how they were able to do that. So I feel like sort of dovetailing off of that question: Do you think this could survive a? direct film adaptation like this is a film stage performance this is not it's on disney plus and i'm sure to win emmys as if it's a made-for-tv movie but this is not a movie in a traditional sense could they make this a movie without elements like the revolving stage as as candace was mentioning without you know this i don't know how would that even work and could they pull it off whoever wants to jump on that well of Um, course they can
3: yeah. I mean, of course they can. They can, you know, they can definitely pull that off. I mean, you know, In the Heights was a stage show. I mean, a lot of musicals that you see that's produced, you know, for stage originally, you know, can very well be adapted into film. It's not going to have a rotating stage. It's not going to do those things. I mean, it's going to be very real elements, you know, in, in like in real settings. But mm-hmm. I mean, but look at like Hairspray, for instance. Hairspray was a campy 80s film that was turned into a stage musical, which was then turned into a movie of the stage musical. I mean, right. same with little, you know, little shop of horrors, you know, which was a, like a sixties or fifties, you know, like horror movie Then became a funny musical. Then, you know, came back as a film again, Um, you know, not a stage version of the film, but like a musical. And so, I mean, I think it's possible. Um, You know, I, I don't think Lin-Manuel Miranda is in a hurry to do it. I mean, he obviously wasn't even in a hurry to get this version of it out, you know, <laughs> even though the show's going to be sold out till the end of time, you know, and getting this version out on Disney plus even, I mean, you know, this is what three or four years, four years ago that they even filmed it. So right. it's uh, so yeah, I don't think there's any hurry, but I do think it'll translate well. Yeah. Candace.
2: And it's, it's unpopular opinion, but I definitely think rent and Chicago are better as films than they are as stage shows. And really? I've seen okay. both of them in New nice. York. So I know it's unpopular, but I think it has a potential to be a great film for sure.
0: I'm really curious uh, how they would adapt it to do that. I think that's kind of my point. But yeah, Candice, go ahead and say. Uh,
4: Ryan Coolidge and Rob Marshall both have like have interest in developing. And like Rob Marshall in Chicago. And mm-hmm. um, Ryan did um, Creed and Black Panther. So they know how to do big budgets. But I think as long as Lin-Manuel is part of the creative team, it would be still... Great, and there's a lot they can do with it, and and they could go with the whole Aaron Burr and hell thing.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's that's a good point. Well, I mean, you can even (laughs) you can even stick with the with the original storyline without changing much. But you can. What's also kind of cool about this is that these characters, you know, they're not necessarily young people. So what's nice about it, like unlike in the Heights, where Lin Manuel had to recast, you know, his primary role because you know he's getting older. I mean, Lin-Manuel could come back and play, you know, Hamilton in the movie version, you know, Chris Jackson could come back and play George Washington. And, you know, Leslie Odom Jr. could come back and play Aaron Burr. So, I mean, I like Rent, where, you know, Rent was a great movie, but, you know, bringing back the original actors, they were all a little bit older than they yeah. probably should yeah, have been for like, those roles. Yeah, yeah 20 they something. should
4: have had yeah. jobs by then.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they were a little bit older than they should have been for those roles. But, you know, but the thing is, like, for this, they could do it, you know, and I think they could do it successfully. And, I mean, I would love to see you know, some of this stuff where where it's out in the field and, and you know, like, you know, out, you know, in actual historical settings, um, you know, I just think it would be brilliant. Um, but I'm willing to wait 10 years for that, you know? I'm willing to wait, you know, for that to happen and, and, and to be done correctly and to be done well and uh, and to translate well because there are some musicals who are that are better than they are on stage, but there's some that, that just failed, you know, that just didn't work. I mean, look at Cats.
4: <laughs> I feel like they would have to have a younger Hamilton because he's, I'm 19, but my brain is older. I'm sorry, Lynn, you (laughs) are not 19 anymore. I'm 19,
3: but I'm 45. Yeah, No, but CGI can make a difference though.
4: And then also peach fuzz and he can't even grow it. You know, he's going to actually have to shave that thing. Um, (laughs) But also the double casting might have to change too.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you can't
3: have Anthony Ramos playing a nine-year-old. Let's start with that.
4: Yeah. Well, try. yeah, uh-huh. so, yeah
3: some of those roles would have to be I think you you know you'd see a lot more casting because you could be more diverse like in the number of actors you have involved in a film production versus a stage production you know because a lot of stage productions double up roles so the, you know right. that's not new um you know to the extent that Hamilton does it is a little bit different because they're using main characters more than than the secondary characters but um You know, but yeah, so you are, you would have to see kids and roles and stuff, but I do think that you could have Hamilton playing even a younger version. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a suspension of disbelief all the time. I mean, you know. Band, you know like millions of people would watch 90210 back in the day and the actors there were 40 years old playing high school kids and nobody seemed <laughs> to notice so you know I mean we noticed. You, you know you, but you look at like you know even films like Howard Stern did private parts and he did it kind of jokingly where he started playing himself even though he's supposed to be a lot younger um, you know but you suspend your disbelief and it doesn't matter at some point but even if it did you can see enhance you know a face a little bit I mean um, they can do pretty good now I mean I imagine you know even five or ten years from now how that technology will improve even more i mean my phone can make me look younger so you know i'm <laughs> um, do it pretty effectively so um you know so i, I mean i'm, I'm okay with, like i would be okay with a little bit of cgi enhancement to make that work just so that we can bring back you know some of the familiar people that that help make that happen yeah as long as they keep david Diggs in the double role if he comes back you keep
0: you have to keep him as lafayette and jefferson or i guess he could stick with jefferson he's got to be one of them um I, is there I wanted to talk about, because the show is so precise and so like meticulously detailed. There's all these little little moments that happen between the characters. there's this, there's constant motion on the stage. there's there there's so much going on. And I know Candace, you wanted to talk specifically about the bullet, but to open that up, is there a particular detail? in the story that really intrigues you the most. And I, I guess, Candice, you can start us off.
4: Yeah. Something that I did not notice, even though I've seen it and listened to the soundtrack about thousands and thousands of times is there is a minor character who's called the bullet and she is played in the Broadway version by Ariana DeVos. And it sh- she represents the death slow march for Alexander Hamilton and the other characters Like, in the first number, she takes a book from Hamilton when Aaron Burr sings about his education. And she's there when Burr says, fools who run their mouths wind up dead. Um, She passes by Lafayette, Lawrence, and Mulligans and sits down to the table next to them. Um, She's the British soldier. She's the person who's killed after King George's, George's number, you'll be back. When she's discovered acting as a spy, she acts... Um, when Alexander's writing, Stay Alive, the bullet comes by her, by him. That's him. her. Yeah. It's all these kind of things. Um, choreographer Andy Blanken... <laughs> I cannot say that name. Told him... Told her that you are going to be the bullet twice. You're going to miss him the first time, but you're not going to miss a second.
0: It builds into the whole... The, like you're saying, the inevitability of time, the fact that the the uh, stage rotates clockwise at certain points and counterclockwise at other points, the fact that there's that line in, in nonstop that it's like, why do you write like you're running out of time? Are you running out of time? Are you running out of time? Oh, like, yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
4: Just another point is when Philip is like the blow you, blow you all away scene, he's flirting with those two girls one of them is played by Ariana. Mm-hmm. So he's literally yep. flirting with death. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so flipping brilliant. It is. Like, and nobody sees it unless they... No, put but else. you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. And it's like a magic trick almost. Like, she's been here the entire time.
0: Yeah, it's so rich. That's The, the story, the, the production is so dense that I'm still noticing new things, new details like that. Mandy, what do you have? Anything that you wanted to highlight?
2: Something like that that, I probably am in the minority that I missed it. The first time I saw it was helpless and satisfied how it's the same choreography during satisfied. I yeah. thought was so cool. And I read somewhere that that was inspired by the movie Ratatouille. When the critic is eating the food at the end and he goes back in his mind and you're in his brain oh, nice. going back to his childhood. You're supposed to be going back in Angelica's mind on the night that she introduced Angel- Eliza to Alexander. And mm-hmm. that was brilliant. And they there's a video you can see online where they sync it up and it's the exact same pretty much to the second. And it's really, really cool. So I think that's a great detail.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. The fact that the you get that such sharp contrast between the sort of like romantic number with, um, with Eliza and then sort of that unrequited love of Angelica for Hamilton like immediately after. Uh, and there's also things like words and phrases like blow us all away that is mentioned during, during dear, dear Theodosia. And then obviously later when the song plays out, um, there's the fact that, uh, uh, Philip keeps messing up when his mom is teaching the piano on the number seven, which is the number in the duel that is called out right before he gets shot by George Eaker. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven.
4: He also has Uh, seven siblings too. Okay. Yeah.
0: There there you go. (laughs) There's so much of that. It's kind of like mind blowing. And I think that's a big part of why I've been so obsessed with the show for the last few months is that it's like, I, I, there's more layers. I keep peeling off. I'm like, wait, this too. That's
4: probably just joined the club.
0: Yeah, I know. It's what I'm <laughs> saying. Welcome to my I've last been,
4: five years. <laughs> I've been
0: catching up on five years of this learning about the, all this. Um, but Mike, is there a particular detail in Hamilton that that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to point out?
3: I mean, my my details are more of a nerdy production, you know, type of details. This is all nerdy um, production. A lot yeah. of, but like, <laughs> but even beyond like the bullet and stuff, which I which I also believe is brilliant. By the way, I loved. I didn't realize a bullet was a character until I actually. Someone talked about it online. It's like, oh wait, now I'm looking for that, and now I saw that, and yeah, and it's just—it's so brilliant how that's put together, and it's, you know, and it's so subtle. It's just like, you know, you don't even—it's—it's it's, it's great. But I mean, I love. Like just the aspects of and I'm a big fan of this. I love looking at the ways things were originally intended when when somebody first wrote it and first wanted to present it you know on stage you know or or, or on film and uh, and then what the final product was so like I kind of go back to one of my favorite movies of all time, even though it has Kevin Spacey in it, which is American Beauty um you know, and the original concept of how that story is going to be told and then how they ended up doing it, and then how like them cutting out those other elements like being in the courtroom and having Kevin Spacey flying over over you know that's why you have the aerial shot is he was supposed to be flying they actually filmed him flying over it as an angel kind of thing and he took all that out and how it made it so much better by removing those elements um but i love like you know when you listen to the mixtape for example and i and i know somebody else had mentioned it earlier is that there are some additional songs on the mixtape that are, you know, that were intended to be part of the production, but ultimately weren't. Um, you know, one of them is the, is the third rap battle, um, uh, which is actually a really good rap battle. You know, if you, if, if you ever hear it on there, but also like the opening song was originally supposed to be a John Trumbull thing, you know, like the John Trumbull rumble. So I don't know what it's called, but it's the very first song on the mixtape, but that was supposed mm-hmm. to be the very first song introducing, you know, Hamilton. And, and I love the creative decision to, to, to poke that out, to pull that out of there and just start, you know, you know right you know and, you know in the very beginning um you know with the very first words that they do in the first uh the beats, so um, yeah so for me, I just love that I, I love seeing those creative decisions that are made and why they're made and and also exploring some of the original ways some of the songs were written and then how they had to be reworked because there's a lot of work done between the off-broadway version and the broadway version there's a lot of changes made even though like it was a short amount of time between those two but you know but some of those songs were longer some of them were different you know some of the choreography was different and um and i loved how you know i i don't know just for me i'm just a big and of just seeing the creative process that some people think that, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda sat down and wrote this and that's exactly the way it comes out, but that's not how any of that works. You know, it, it's something that has to keep, you know, you have to keep molding and, and keep changing and, 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 you know, change some of the ingredients and make adjustments here and there. That's the only way you make it brilliant. And I love that. So, so I guess just from the, you know, from the production nerd side of me, that those are the elements that I love the most.
0: Yeah, no, I think uh, and in some of those songs that were dropped, congratulations, I think is the most well-known
3: yes. of those. Oh,
0: <laughs> I think that's Sorry. a good opportunity. And no, that's okay. Um, I, I think that's a I'm good mad. opportunity. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I think that's a good opportunity for the movie version to sort of embellish on some of that. Like, let them make a three-hour Hamilton. Just throw all of that in there. We Let we them have all the it.
4: Hamilton kids in there. They're a little Brady yeah. Bunch. They're a little bunch of like children just running around.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely one way in which they'll they'll flesh that out. But one thing that I was so impressed with when I was watching this is, for the first time obviously, um, is not only, like I knew that the music would probably be great because I was familiar obviously with The Room Where It Happens. It's kind of my shot which are just iconic like anthems like even apart from, from the movie or the show itself uh, was how funny it is. Like this, you get, like there's it's the full. It's one of those pieces of entertainment that not only is it ingenious in how much is actually going on and how purposeful and 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 detailed and meticulous the production and and the score and everything was, but also you get you get. There's moments where you where you cry, obviously, like the last thirty five minutes for me. Um, there's moments where you you know intense moments, thrilling moments. Like you get the full package. It's one of those entertainment where you get. All of that, and I, I was really surprised how funny it, it was. Like there were there were moments in this movie, or that I just off the cuff things. A lot of it from David Diggs, who I feel like takes a lot of the um, the comic relief, if you want to call it that, uh, in the form mostly of, of uh, Jefferson. Is there a particular moment or song or character or anything? From the more playful side of Hamilton because this is a very playful musical at times like you know we have fourth wall breaking where he's like uh talking about Martha Washington named her feral tomcat after him and he's like that's true uh things like that it actually isn't I really I know I I remember
3: that
4: (laughs) I love the Um, Skyler sisters where Burr is like Baby, I'm a trust fund. You can trust me. I'm a trust fund. Bu- oh, God, what's that lyric?
0: Uh, I'm a trust fund, baby. You can, I'm a trust fund, baby. Baby, you can trust me. Something like that, yeah.
4: Yeah. Smells like your daddy's got money kind of thing. Just like all those like really cliche, really bad. Well, and there's a lot of
0: looking. callbacks to classic hip hop. Like uh, if you don't know, now you know Mr. President, which is from Notorious B.I.G. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. that kind of thing too. Just like sprinkled within there uh 10 crack commandments a song by by notorious big if you listen it's very similar to 10 dual commandments things like that uh so there's a real reverence for hip-hop too that i think it, yeah. there's a lot of easter eggs sprinkled throughout this thing um mandy anything on that
2: those all went over my head because i was not a hip-hop listener so <laughs> right and you are talking about i know who be who notorious big is but i don't know any of that <laughs> um <laughs> Some of the funny things that I, I just make me giggle is like when John Lawrence goes, all right, all right, that's what I'm talking about. He comes out with <laughs> his beer, and then my daughter started copying that, and I was like, hmm, coming around the house doing that. And then one thing I always wondered, and I don't know if you guys know this off the top of your head, they talk about where two pints of Sam Adams working on three.
4: Mm-hmm. I
2: know Sam Adams was a brewer, but did he have an actual brewery back then? Like, Could they have... Received beer from Sam Adams? I
3: and believe I they to- did. Yeah, I believe that okay. Sam Adams beer did exist at the time. So,
2: okay. And then when I went on to a tour when I was in Boston on our honeymoon, we went to his grave site and it was right across from the Omni Hotel. And our tour guide was like, Look, you can have a cold Sam Adams in front of a cold Sam Adams. And I was like, That's kind
0: of weird. Wow, nice. I love that. <laughs> Always so, a good decision.
2: <laughs> yeah, go. that's, that's what makes me laugh is that whole scene too. So. That's
3: great. Like, And Robert, because you're you're such a big aficionado of uh of you know, of film and of you know and of a lot of you know things like that that, you know, um you know I, I thought it was kinda of funny that you that you, you were a little bit surprised that there's humor in there. And I think that, that it's funny that there's humor in a lot of almost everything that goes out. I mean, it's you know, it's funny because I mean, I'll sit and watch Hamlet, which I think is probably one of Shakespeare's funniest plays. You know, like it's, it's so serious, but there's so much comedy in there um, You know, of course part of it is putting in historical context to understand the comedic aspects of it But so it takes a little bit of research, but there's a, there's a lot of humor in there and um, you know And I think that it's almost impossible to 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 really do any type of drama without having a chance to laugh Because you know part of going and, and seeing these stories is to be entertained And yeah, we want to be able to go through the whole range of emotions But one of those emotions almost always has to be laughter you know, of some sort, even if it's a chuckle, even if it's just a smile, you know, like you, you, you have to have that. There always has to be that balance there if it's not, you know, ingrained as a comedy or something. So, um, you know, and Lin-Manuel has a, has a great sense of humor as well. I mean, look at his love of of Weird Al, for instance, you know, um, which is, you know, which is funny because you have Weird Al and him both adoring each other, you know. Uh, Lin-Manuel grew up, you know, with, you know, listening to Weird Al, like, like probably you and me. I mean, I love Weird Al growing up, you know, and uh, you know, and his greatest dream was to have a polka party of his music, you know, which Weird Al did for him. And that was like, for him it was like, do forget about all, you know, all of his success with Hamilton. Having you know Weird Al do a polka party, you know, based on his work was like the highlight of his life. Um, you know, and so uh, you know, so that's the kind of humor that you kind of see put in there. Um, in terms of the hip hop references too, you know, don't forget. I mean, you know, hip hop. I mean, I'm my you know where I live is on um, in the Bronx. You know, I'm on Cedric Avenue, and if you go down Cedric Avenue, like you know, deeper into the Bronx a little bit more than where I am, um, you actually kind of go to the birthplace of hip hop. So, so uh, you know we're literally where hip hop was born. So uh, you know, and we're not that far from Washington Heights. So you know, we're just across the Broadway Bridge. So uh, you know, we're just we're just up on the northern you know on the northwestern part of the Bronx. So you know, that's not far from where you know Lin Manuel grew up. That's not far from you know those those aspects of his own life. And uh, so it makes sense that those would be key elements in there, and uh, and I love that he does do these callbacks, you know, and that's kind of yeah. almost a Weird Al thing again, He's doing these callbacks because it's familiar, you know even Shakespeare, you know, when he wrote his plays they might not be familiar to us, but he put in, you know, he put stuff into these plays that were familiar to his audiences at the time, that's why there's these anachronisms in Shakespeare's because those are meant to help audiences identify with that more, and I think that even if you don't recognize that's a notorious B.I.G. song, even if you don't recognize some of the source of it, just there's, there's a familiarity of it. Like you probably heard some version of it somewhere and right. that helps connect you with that.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's what I mean when I was surprised by how funny it was. I'm surprised how much of a modern sensibility is brought not only just not even just to the music, just to like the way the story is being. Told. Like when he says um right after the, the part that that Mandy just mentioned with uh John Lawrence, you know, right after the wedding basically. Um when he says Burr shows up and, and John Lawrence is like, oh, I've heard you got a little someone on the side," Burr that whole yeah. thing and um he's like, "Oh, it's unlawful. She's married, married to a British officer." They're like, "Oh shit." Like, yeah. and you, there's a laugh for that, you know. And um during the Reynolds Pamphlet, which obviously is the yeah, kind of chaos just- that that drops into like the more emotionally heart-wrenching section of this of the show. Uh, you have basically like all the way from London, boom, things like that. Like the the way that it was speaking to today's sense of humor and that kind of um, anachronistic sensibility, that's part of why I think really surprised me the most.
4: Do you remember when the rental plan was trending on Twitter because people were like, what song from Hamilton would represent 2020? It's that Mm -hmm. one. And someone else said that, um, the way King George is acting in that scene is how the rest of the world sees him, is acting towards America right now because we're damn fools.
2: Yeah. Oh, giggling yeah, that- the, in the corner. Yeah. That's
4: Jonathan crazy. is hilarious in that. He joins the dance. He's throwing papers. He's having the time of his life. Yeah. Yeah. That cracked me up because I couldn't see very well. Like we still got like decent seats in the orchestra, but you just don't get to see like every single detail like that in the theater and just seeing them having such a fun time and dancing like that in the Reynolds pamphlet, when you know, burn is going to come up soon. Mm-hmm. It's still, you get a laugh out of that. And then you're like, I'm never going to be happy again. Except when Madison goes, can we talk about politics? Can we go back talking to the Please. politics?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the 2020, the whole, every hour, every time I check my phone, it's like, I, I ended up talking to my wife I'm like, have you read this? It's very similar to the Reynolds mm-hmm. pamphlet. And just going back to, the uh, the comedy elements, John Jonathan Groff in that character is all comic relief essentially. I mean, yes, you know why so sad and he does the frown and I'm so blue and the lights change. Uh, the awesome, wow, all of that. It's just like one big goofy uh, side character, and I and I but I love the the perspective that he brings as well.
2: Oh, I just a- that. it says awesome, wow. I want to wear it whenever I'm not pleased. Like awesome. <laughs> I will
4: send a full armed battalion to kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. Yeah, it's just like
3: you know, and it's great. funny because like the whole—I don't know if you guys researched some of the history of that song, but um, you know, but that all kind of—that's that, all thanks to um, the actor who played Doctor House, um, and I'm and I'm drawing a blank oh, on yeah. his name. You
0: Laurie, yeah, I've yeah, heard Hugh Laurie. The, you Laurie. Yeah.
3: You know, and I mean, where uh, Lin Manuel was when he was still writing Hamilton, he did a guest spot on on House. And, uh, so he had had lunch, I guess, with Hugh Laurie in the middle of all of this. And, um, you know, and so he was saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm writing this song I'm thinking about including, you know, King George, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it yet, but I kind of want to do like, I don't know, like he'd be sending a letter to the colonies as they're trying to break away. You know, and I don't know what would that be. And, and he would just right away without even, without even a hesitation, just went, you'll be back, <laughs> you know? And that's where that whole idea came from. And I, and I, I, I think it's brilliant because. Because, I mean, and that really reflects the mentality, I think, of the time, too, that, you know, that the, the crown wasn't all that worried, even if they were successful breaking away, because they Realized how hard it was to govern And, and, and crawl back because I mean you know America wasn't the first to break away from the British Empire you know and <laughs> You know and a lot of them crawled back so uh, You know and I love that and, and then there's also References of course to uh, you Know um, you know to uh, all The all the John Adams references Are all based on the HBO Doc you know the, the series that they did with Paul Giamatti um, you know And, and every reference that even like oh that's That little guy I met back in guy? whatever okay. Year yeah. you know th- that's all references References to the HBO <laughs> series, which I think was great, the, 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 how that even influenced it, and uh, you know, it added those elements to it, to where you can almost watch John Adams now as a companion piece to Hamilton.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I I am actually almost out of questions, so I have one question that I want to save. So before I get to that, is there anything we haven't talked about so far that you guys that you all want to make sure we address? Before we start winding down,
4: um, I just want to know what do you guys think Eliza's gasp was? About? That was
0: my last question, Candace. Oh,
4: sorry, 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 sorry.
0: <laughs> it's just everyone has a different
4: opinion, and it's really interesting. I was worried someone would would call me out
0: and catch that. Um, so yeah, hold hold that thought. Any anything else? Okay, Candace, sorry. Mandy, delete Mike?
4: that. Delete that.
0: <laughs> it's all good. No, I like we're on the same we're in the same wavelength.
4: It's the end of the show, so end of the show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was I my thing too. Was...
2: Um, We have the Moana DVD, or the digital version of Moana, and at the end, Mm -hmm. there's a whole documentary on how they created all the music for it, and that was my first kind of intro to Limit on Miranda, and seeing him work with everything, and I thought it was cool how Christopher Jackson is Moana's dad in that film, the singing voice, and that was neat to hear him in both films was kind of cool, so... I like that. And you can watch his creative process and how Moana was a break for him from Hamilton. And I was like, what in the world? Can you imagine having both of those movies going on in your head at the same time and creating all that? It's awesome.
0: Yeah. I think if I'm, if I'm correct here, I feel like, I think Philippa Sue also was credited with additional voices, whatever that means. So she was involved in some way, shape or form, but yeah, Christopher Jackson brings the same authority to, uh, to Moana's dad, as he does to George Washington, the
2: coconuts. I love that. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the coconuts, um, Mike. Anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to throw out there?
3: I don't know. Like, I mean, I I, I think I kind of threw out a lot of my knowledge. I mean, I, I think that if you if you haven't done it, it's worth going and looking on YouTube for the musical theory aspects. I know I mentioned that in the beginning, and like I said, yeah. it's just you know this you know, and that's once again it's, it goes back. To production nerdism of it but you know but just you know it it really gives you a new appreciation for the music so when you're you know when you're listening to it and understanding that you know lin-manuel miranda i mean you know and and he was very involved with all of the music of this as well um you know and you know so in terms of of how that music broke apart you know like there's parts like you know what it all means and, and the story that the music itself and the way that the music was written, you know how that's telling a story as well. I mean, it, it gives you all of this nuance, all of uh, you know, all of this other impressions that you wouldn't get otherwise. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few really good uh, like series of of uh, musical theorists who break this down and, and talk about this in depth. And it's just it's so worth it. I mean, you know, like I said, like musical theory tends to bore me to death, but I was glued to like every single minute of this. And, um, you know, and it it forced me to watch it again, you know, just because I wanted to then see how that was applied to that and how that how that affected the story. And it really does kind of bring a whole different perspective to it. So if you're kind of burned out on Hamilton, go and, and review the musical theory aspects of it and come back. You're going to find a whole fresh perspective, I think, from it.
0: Yeah, there's a YouTuber by the name of Howard Ho that I feel like that might be one of the ones that you're talking about. Mike, yeah, that is, yeah, Howard a, Ho. Yeah. yeah, he has a three-part video series on how Hamilton works, and he's got a bunch of other videos that I have saved in my watch later on YouTube that I will eventually get to. Um, but yes, uh, definitely, I definitely recommend checking those out as well. Also, if you guys haven't seen the movie Blind Spotting, that was really my first like proper introduction to Debbie Diggs. It's, uh, it's a comedy drama and it's set in Oakland, California. And David Diggs is the lead and he co-wrote it with the other hit with uh, his co-star, Rafael Casal. And Jasmine Cephas-Jones, who plays Peggy and uh, Mariah Reynolds, it has a supporting role in it as well. That's a really powerful movie. Check that out. And I want to throw that out for listeners as well. One of my favorite movies of 2018. So I want to end with everyone saying where, they can, where people can find you on social media and what you think Eliza's gasp means at the end of the show the very last moment i think the big argument for why um for why this is in some in in a lot of ways eliza's story uh so what do you what is that gasp meaning to you candace
4: i think she's realizing that her story gets told that the hampton story gets told we are the geeky you can find us on facebook Instagram, the Geeky Waffle, and then Twitter, somebody already took our name, so it's Geeky underscore Waffle.
0: Awesome. Mandy, same questions.
2: I completely agree with Candice. I read somewhere that they think um, Lin-Manuel is actually playing himself when he leads her up to the edge of the stage, and he's showing Eliza Hamilton that no one's forgotten you. So that's kind of cool. So I, I agree with her, with Candace. And that's most of the time um, some days I do think it's her going to heaven and seeing Alexander again. Um, but generally speaking, I do think that it's her showing or Well showing her that look, we haven't forgotten you. We're still telling your story, so you're still around. Like you, your legacy has lived on. Yep. And then my Instagram is Mandy and the Magic, so it's Very mostly cool. Disney-centered stuff, but it's
0: fun. <laughs> Well, people will be watching this on Disney Plus, so that that
3: should that works out pretty well. Synergy, uh, Mike. Same questions. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, if you look at the gasp, you know, if you if you you know if you do that, and if you notice what's missing from the original soundtrack is the gasp at the end. Like there is no gasp there. A lot of you know when you see a lot of stage productions, many of them, you know, either to a great extent or even to a lesser extent somehow involve the audience in some way, you know, there's some recognition of the audience, you know, it's a fourth wall breaking usually, um, you know, like where the audience is suddenly there and I've seen it done, you know, both really well and sometimes very poorly. Um, you know, like uh, I think I saw like a like a play once, you know, in Tampa where um, it was like I, I can't even tell you the name of the play, but it was like a murder mystery kind of thing. And then all of a sudden they, they turned up the house lights and the characters all realized that suddenly all these people were here in the room with them, you know, the audience. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it was, it was kind of a funny farce in a way of a thing. So it was it was a pretty funny moment. But, you know, but Hamilton doesn't do that. Hamilton doesn't actually acknowledge his audience at all. So, I mean, so I, I do agree that, that you know, with everybody else that it kind of comes back to you you know, you know. I think Eliza's realization, like, you know, what happens is that, you know, if you notice the stage light, or the house lights do come up a little bit when that happens, and uh, you know, and that what it is is she's seeing for the first time that wall's broken down. You know, mm-hmm. she's seeing the audience there and, and it's a realization that, you know, that she is being, you know, the story is being told, um, you know, and I love the, I love the fact that, that while while Miranda leaves that up for interpretation. So there's no definitive answer to it so that we all have something to talk about, um, you know, in terms of that happening. So, um, but I, but I think it's, it's probably the best way to end that. I mean, it's just, it's a great way. It's just, you know, it just, you almost hold your breath for that. So. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it gives you that chance to exhale at the end of it. So, which is what you're trying to do anyway. After watching Hamilton, is is, is finally exhale because you've been holding your breath the whole time. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of where the. I me mean, in terms of social media um you know really just look for some old guy complaining about something on twitter and you'll probably find my account eventually um you know you know and not doing it very often because i hate twitter so uh, but i am there um it's like at michael b Hinman. i don't really talk about anything interesting i just retweet you know mostly <laughs> or i or i bitch about things so that's about it i oh, mean that's, you know, what Twitter's, I re- that's what Twitter's for retweeting <laughs> yeah. and bitching about things and i and, I, and i'll I mean, respond to the generally. president you know and call him a doofus so you know that's about you <laughs> You know, that's the extent of that. I mean, you can find me on Facebook, but I'm probably even more boring on there. So, um, you know, I, you're I'm not a, really selling people on this, Mike. I gotta yeah, say. I, I'm a very boring social media person. You know, if you you know if you want to have fun with me, you know, find like a version of me somewhere of somebody playing me. That's really fun and interesting. That's about the only way (laughs) you can ever. Lin-Manuel will will, (laughs) will make a show called Hinman one day and it'll,
0: it'll, he'll, he'll play you. And then it won't even be rap songs. It'll It'll
3: just be, it'll just be him sitting in a chair and just like, yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let me talk about the Um, president.
0: (laughs) Uh, I agree with with all of you. I think that uh, I think that she is realizing. I, there's a lot of one thing I really noticed is early in the beginning when they're all explaining his story, they're also say, they're all saying Alexander Hamilton, we're waiting in the wings for you. So literally, everyone is sort of playing three different characters. They're playing, you know, well, some of them like Devi Diggs is playing three different characters. Everyone is playing their role in the show, but also playing the person telling the playing the role in the show. You know, there's meta. Uh, elements at play there. And I think the fact that the whole last song is who lives, who dies, who tells your story is about the legacy of Hamilton, as Angelica points out, or I guess it's really Renee at the end, points out every other founding father story is told. Every other founding father gets to grow old. And it's about changing that, changing the narrative, changing, flipping the script on what Hamilton, who Hamilton is, what he was about, and also Burr, and kind of giving a little more context to the duel that went down and the price that he paid for it and all of that. So now he's the villain in our history books. So I think that's, it's really, it's really powerful in that level of the, you know, it's, it's a story about the power of stories and how they can shape history and all of that. And I think that's, like Mike was saying, the perfect statement for the show to, to wrap up on. Thank you, Candice Kau, Mandy Lake, and Michael Henman for joining me for the first Crooked Roundtable. I would like to make this a somewhat regular thing. I don't know if I have the the strength to do this every you know every week or every month, but uh, maybe every once in a while I'll put together one of these uh, for something special like Hamilton. So I want to thank the you know thank you all for sharing this time and uh, letting us all geek out over Hamilton. And I feel like I need to go play the soundtrack again right now. So yeah, for yeah us. <laughs> Thanks guys this was so much fun and
1: i am not throwing away my shot i am not throwing away my shot not throwing away my shot. We not my my rise up shot
0: so i'm here with the lady one uh, it's for our, I guess, PS section on <laughs> Hamilton. Um, so yeah, we had technical difficulties on the, the main episode. Uh, so I, as like we were just saying a second ago, I don't even think we got to do your introduction. So lady Wan, can you tell people a little bit about who you are and share a favorite lyric from the show?
1: Sure. So I am the lady one from Screen Fix podcast. Uh, my show is a show where we fix a recent Hollywood movie, uh, just kind of give ideas to make it different, all in good fun. And uh, I struggled to think of to think of my favorite Hamilton lyric, but it has to be "Who lives, who dies, who tells your story" because it's nice. it's it's so meta.
0: <laughs> it is. Well, yeah. and especially we'll we'll actually when I did the the roundtable, we rounded out. By uh saying what we thought Eliza's gasp meant, and uh, so we' we'll, we'll come back around to <laughs> the theme of telling your story and, and all that, but yeah that's essentially the button on the on the show so i yeah. I want to know about you know was what was your experience with Hamilton because some of the people that we, you know that are, we that I talked to had yeah. seen it live and then watched it on disney plus I, I forget exactly how how you first came across it
1: so i Ignored the Hamilton hype for as long as I could. Um, I didn't think it would interest me, and then when it was coming to Tampa, and I was, you know, like everybody had to go see it. Uh, at that point, once I had tickets, I was like, "Well, I'm not going to listen because I need to see it first. And so then I reignored it, and I saw it live with the touring cast in Tampa, and I thought it was really fantastic. And then started listening to it nonstop. And nice. uh just my Spotify of 2019 was basically nothing but Hamilton with like a little Ariana Grande sprinkled in. <laughs> and then I was lucky enough to see it in the West End in London in uh, October of last year. And to see like British actors portraying characters in Hamilton, that's a whole whole different thing. But then once they announced that it was coming to Disney plus, I think I like cried tears of joy. I woke up at five a.m. on the day it came out to like immediately watch it. Like I watched it at sunrise. I was wow giddy. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it. It's just my comfort viewing at this point.
0: So you had seen it twice before you saw Lin Manuel and, and the original cast. That's really yeah. That's interesting. How, any any differences in the experience? Obviously from the West End to uh, to <laughs> Tampa. Like how did the did the crowd react differently to certain moments?
1: um you know what's interesting is they they changed the line of uh, John Adams doesn't have a real job anyway they say vice president's not a real job anyway and I thought that was really interesting that they kind of did that um like it's a little subtext to explain it but um, it's particularly like as I imagine I was not the only American in the theater that night watching it mm-hmm. but knowing that I was in the minority and you know Britain keeps shitting on us endlessly and I'm just kind of looking around mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah guys. Yeah guys. <laughs> Just sort of like a little antagonistic sitting in my seat bouncing my shoulders. Um it's a pretty cool experience but it was I mean it was hard to get a ticket there. It was crazy packed. The line around the building, it was, you know, Hamilton fever is not only American.
0: Right. Yeah, and I've heard that they actually have a, a pretty good sense of humor with uh King George and the fact that he's like basically <laughs> the jester of the show. <laughs>
1: He's very very funny in uh, the West End production. He's very good.
0: Is there, you know, is there a particular character or performance, I guess in the the Disney Plus version that really stands out to you because there's seven Tony nominated performances, <laughs> three wins. It's like I actually wrote uh, for my day job, I wrote it uh, just trying to in my head do the gymnastics of how would I even rank them? And I was curious who, if there's this particular performer or character that stands out to you.
1: It's, I went into it already being like emotionally attached to Debbie Diggs. Like I Mm -hmm. just, I have an unhealthy obsession with him. And I I think that's fine at this point. I've accepted it about myself. Um, But so he's obviously incredible and amazing and one of the Tony Award winners. But um, Anthony Ramos really impressed me so much from watching the Disney plus version. Cause I don't feel like he stands out so, so much on just the soundtrack. It's really like the presence he brings to the stage. And like, even in background moments, he just really kills it the entire time. He's, he really kind of like caught me off guard as someone I wasn't expecting to be like watching in every scene, but I would, I really was.
0: Yeah. And he has two death scenes. The first of which isn't even on the soundtrack, which I I noticed eventually. And it's such a, a powerful moment. I, I, I'm oh really gosh, yeah. kind of wondering why they didn't even just conclude that. I guess it's such a brief callback to something that's already on the soundtrack that they're like, yeah, it's just not even a real song. What would be like a 15 second track? I'm just so- uh, John Lawrence being tomorrow. There'll be, there'll be more of us.
1: I think so I read this it was on Twitter when Lin-Manuel Miranda live tweeted along like the day of it coming out he mm-hmm. he basically tweeted like I didn't put that on the soundtrack because you needed to hear Pippa scream and that wouldn't have been on the soundtrack you just would have heard the song and like you need to hear that you need to hear that grief and like that's why he didn't put it on it's cuz he wanted you to see that moment not hear it ahead of time which right. I think is he's a genius like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah he's amazing and
0: and that's part of the reason why i wanted to do kind of a special treatment for hamilton one it's a movie but it's kind of not a movie it's you know film stage performance it's the closest we'll probably get to a movie for a while and Mm -hmm. certainly i would say almost certainly with this cast i don't see them if they do a movie uniting this group of people per se uh maybe a couple of them might stick around but but yeah it's it, it it's so dense, like I've I, I, I've spent mm-hmm. months since July. I didn't even see it the first weekend when I posted it posted on <laughs> Disney Plus, and I had I still haven't seen it on stage. It was one of those that I was like, that can't be as good as everybody says it is, right? and I, so I put There's it no off. And, and then watched it like the second weekend after it debuted on Disney Plus, and I was like, wow, this is like super. Not only is it doing a better job teaching me history than the Florida public uh, public school system, uh-huh. but it's it's like. Emotional I spent the whole last it's been like the whole last 30 minutes crying basically yes. <laughs> um, It's funny and, th- and then you notice new things every time you watch it, which is the the really impressive part to me um,
4: Yeah,
0: It's it, I don't you know, I wonder This is the question we sort of got into on the on the uh, on the call earlier, but Is there something about this p- particular cast like is there a certain does the magic that people see on disney plus? With this cast, does it translate as well to the other casts that you've seen? Or is there something just like lightning in a bottle with this particular group of people?
1: I think so much of it is obviously this group of people is immensely talented. Like, you know, they're absolutely incredible. He put together a perfect cast. But I think also a lot of it is when they recorded it you know mm. the the excitement that was in the room on those couple of nights it was just still so fresh and exciting and there was so much passion behind it and not that there's not passion behind hamilton anymore i mean we're still talking about it lots of people are still talking about it right. but but like the stage show itself like now it's sort of like oh yeah i'm going to go see this really great production and there's always some kid in there who's like losing their mind because they're finally seeing it but it's not like the same Revolutionary feeling that it was, that you see in that theater back that night.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the Jonathan Groff. I think was the only one that had left the original cast by that point, and they brought him back specifically to shoot the movie uh, because he was the original King George. So
1: seven minutes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And I, I, I always feel like he has. Not necessarily. I don't want to say it's easy because it's not easy. But he has probably the easiest job. Come out yeah. there, do your like three little songs, and then peace out and get a Tony nomination. Meanwhile, everyone else is on stage <laughs> for two and a half hours. It's like yeah. that's messed up. <laughs> um, everyone and, else
1: is giving it everything, and he's like, you can look at like the footage of him. He's backstage reading books. He's just, yeah. you know. <laughs>
0: Like, oh, out. Put, give me my crown. Time to go back out and kind of do my little <laughs> shoulder strut thing that he does. But um, yeah. I, I totally think they made the right choice in giving it to David because it was Jonathan Groff, Christopher Jackson, uh, and David mm-hmm. Diggs all in the same category. Uh, yeah. And I agree with you. I, it's, I, I feel like the Lafayette and um, Jefferson parts are some of the tracks I go back to the most. Yeah, not only because of his virtuosity as a rapper, like the speed with which he <laughs> he, la- he delivers the lines, but his yeah. like kind of playful charisma uh, on stage and certain discrepancies between the soundtrack and the movie, just like the way he says, um, in We Know, the way he's like, My God, the way he says it in the movie <laughs> is completely different than on the soundtrack. Yes. Um, yeah, and my daughter, like, we you know, she knows now. Uh, details of American history because of Hamilton, and she's really into everything that he does. Uh, what is it about him specifically that you you know when did you first come across to v diggs and and uh, specifically, have you seen the movie blind spotting because if not, you need to track that down
1: okay i I have not seen it i I okay. need to just I need to just do this because I've also listened to. Like a lot of the music from it mm-hmm. on Spotify uh, right. because Spotify was just hitting me with more and more of him. Um, so I've already listened to some stuff, but I, I haven't seen it yet. I know I need to. Um, I, I really just saw him in this and then just started low key stalking him on social media like, in a very respectful way, obviously. <laughs> um, but he was just like, he's captivating. Like he's. Yeah. I, he, he's just he's a magic person. Like yeah, yeah. so impressive. And uh yeah, just like keeps your eye on him the whole time during the show and he's playing two very very different characters like he just he nails it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if it's he's got like this physicality to him but also sort yeah. of this like uh kind of goofy side that he plays that he plays with especially in what did I miss? Um, yes. <laughs> you know, the eyes and the hair and he's just like, he's just very magnetic. Like he's one of those characters that if if I heard they were doing another Willy Wonka reboot or something, I'd be like, no, don't oh. do that. And they're like, sorry, it be digs. I'm like, oh, okay, that would work. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that totally would, uh, that yeah, that could happen. Um, and he's always, he has a very interesting relationship to the show because I've seen videos like on YouTube because I've gone i I fell down a really deep YouTube rabbit hole over the last yeah. few months with all these analysis videos and and people focusing on all the chaotic moments in Hamilton and blah blah blah. Um there's like footage of fans approaching him and they're like oh do the rap and he's like no no I'll do I don't like he's clearly like I did that it was hard I'm over it. Yeah uh, but thanks for the love kind of thing. Uh, yeah. and I, I think that's so relatable.
1: Yeah, I feel. I feel like he doesn't. He's like, I'm not just gonna like do a dance for you and like you know do a trick because you saw me on the street. But um, yeah, he's just, he's just like insanely talented, and uh, I feel like there is no limit for him. He can do anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there a particular <laughs> moment that you that you really fell for the show itself? I feel like it's gonna. Uh, I guess either the show when you saw it or the movie or both. I feel like the movie part it's probably gonna involve David, but Sophia. <laughs>
1: um I think I think for for just the the soundtrack getting obsessed with it on my my commutes back when I used to leave my house, um it was it was satisfied, was like I'm gonna learn every beat of this. And then I was like, wait can i learn david Diggs stuff like that was sort of like my entry point to like how how much can i dedicate my time and effort into just learning this and uh, so that was kind of my end point there but just like it, i feel like when guns and ships happens in the disney plus show like just the room like just it gets hotter like just everything kind of like yeah. lights up and it's like we are going there it's about to go off and it just it like levels up just a little bit and the show like keeps leveling up like emotionally throughout but like i feel like that's the first moment where it like hits you hard and it's just like so exciting
0: yeah it's like um it, uh, it's like i i almost want hip hop history to be a genre now because yes. there are moments <laughs> of this where like I think I mentioned this on the conversation already, but where like they're bringing out George Washington, they're like, here comes a general, rise up. Like, <laughs> it's like, they're like, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've been waiting for. It's like, uh, they've become George Washington's hype man, sort of for yes. a moment. And it's, yeah. it's crazy that, that it works so well. It doesn't feel like it should. And it feels like a magic trick that it, it came out the way it does. There's like so many ways this could have gone wrong.
1: Yeah. Oh, the, the description of Hamilton had me at like, no, 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 right. no. <laughs> like, well, just you, someone telling me what it was going to be. I was like, this is going to be terrible. And then ha- it, it defies logic and it just works. Yeah.
0: Have you seen that, that footage of... Uh, he's like in front of President Obama and he's saying, Oh, you know, this is a song I'm working on from a, uh, you know, a person who embodies hip-hop, Alexander Hamilton, that I'm, yes. and everybody's like, laughs. Like, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, it's it's the joke. And he's just like, you'll see. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, yeah. all the confidence in you'll the world in this bananas idea. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, he's a genius.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. And, and not only that, that it's a, a hip hop m- musical. Uh, and that it li- has a literal turntable that the, the revolving mm-hmm. around. When you mentioned Satisfied, I'm thinking, of course, of the whole rewind, oh. that whole thing. Where they're doing the same choreography and you don't notice it, like how detailed it is or no. guns and ships where, um, you know, he's talking to George Washington about writing the letter to get him back and he hands it to, hands it to Lafayette and he hands it to someone and it like travels around yes. the stage up yes. to where Hamilton is. It's it's insanity. that that oh, I have goosebumps while you're describing it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah.
1: It's, and and it... that's all stuff that I didn't see when I mm-hmm. saw it on stage. And I had pretty good seats when I saw it in London. I didn't have great seats in Tampa, but in London, it's a much smaller theater. And I couldn't take in any of this. I, all I remember kind of processing from the stage version was that there was a round table and that it turned and that there was a second level. And then stares at one point. And my main takeaway—the first time I saw the show—was, man, he takes his coat off a lot. Like that, mm-hmm. I found that to be like kind of distracting. That it, like Hamilton just keeps changing coats. Um, but then, like seeing this Disney Plus version, like you get to see all of the intricate details of the stage direction and how like he's like singing Hurricane and like Mariah in the background. It's like, oh my god, it's so amazing. It's so intricate.
0: Yeah. yeah the um the furniture around him and they all freeze uh in hurricane or or nonstop. the way that um i think he's talking to angelica and she that she kind of travels around away from him on the turntable and eliza Mm -hmm. just comes right up to him oh man it's it's magical um
1: so amazing
0: (laughs) with all that in mind though is there, do you think that Hamilton could survive a, a real movie adaptation? Like, how would that even work uh, as, as far as, <laughs> I, I, you know, the stage direction, the double casting? Um, like, I don't even know if that is even possible or what it would look like without yeah. completely ruining everything and undermining it. Because I don't know, you would have to have Aaron Burr Popping up and doing narration, a, a wrapping narration, like leading into each segment. Like, do you think that there's a way to do that?
1: I, I like, I honestly don't be. I can't see how it would work. I, I'm sure if anyone could figure it out, Lin Manuel could figure it out because he's done everything. He just is a, on a different plane of existence. But I don't see how it could possibly be done because so much of what makes the show great works within the confines of a stage show. And mm-hmm. if if all of a sudden we're in different buildings and different outside settings and there's background players besides, you know, the swings, like if all of a sudden it gets bigger than that, you lose the attention to those tiny genius details and then it just becomes a story like any other and it's just a great soundtrack. And it kind of, it, you lose so much of what is really and truly exceptional about the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of its appeal, I think, is based on that, the medium itself. And, uh, you yeah. know, the other musical that I was, for some reason, listening to or kind of was into as a guilty pleasure before this was Cats, <laughs> which is a god-awful <laughs> movie, but still yeah. kind of interesting in a, in a bizarre way. Like, uh, yeah. And that's another example of something that, you could see how that would appeal to people as a stage show, I guess, because it's literally you're you're at the uh, you're at the Jellicle Ball or whatever. Yeah. But then in a movie, it, it completely falls apart, and the whole world basically starts <laughs> falling apart as soon as Cats comes out. Like that's the the, the joke that was all that's all over social media this yeah. all this year is just
1: brought us it all cats, down.
0: It, yeah, it's ca- Cats was like the the, uh, the you know the omen of uh, yeah. <laughs> the the apocalypse to come. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I'm really curious to see because you know that somebody's going to try. it. It's there's no way this move mu- this musical is going to come out and be as successful and iconic as it is, and somebody's going to not try to make it a musical. It's just a matter of of time. And yeah, I hope that Lin Manuel is involved at least to help finagle some of that. Uh, yeah, that you know that in mind, his you know obviously the genius in his writing takes a lot of liberties with history. Are there yeah. any uh, changes or embellishments to the real life story that you think negatively impacted? Cause there are, you know, there's a lot of little details that he shifts to make uh, the impact for example of uh, the Skyler actually had brothers. So there were, you know, there yeah. wasn't as much pressure on Angelica uh, to, to, you know, to marry and, and all that other stuff.
1: So I really feel like all I understand all the choices that he made as far as like slight embellishments here and you know right. twisting the story just a tiny bit to make it a little bit more dramatic like I I get all of that and like artistic license is a thing like go for it also The history we're taught in school isn't all that accurate anyway. So, I really find that, like, from this, from listening to Hamilton, I went down a million rabbit holes and was actually reading his letters on, like, the US Gov website. I was, like, actively seeking out these letters to read them. And I learned more about history, not just from the context of the show, I went to go find out other things on my own. And I wouldn't have done that if somebody had just said, like, oh yeah, the show, like it's a hundred percent fact. I would have been like, oh wow, I just learned a lot. But instead I kind of heard like, oh, a few things are different. I'm like, well, I gotta go find out what they are. And mm-hmm. I I went down a deep dive and I I mean, it didn't, it didn't hurt that like I'm picturing David Diggs, but I got very, very into researching the Marquis de Lafayette. And <laughs> I actually I was in Paris last summer and i went to go to his grave because he's oh, wow. like buried buried outside like in paris but not in like tourist paris like you have to go out of the city and we had to like pay somebody to like let us in it's a it's a graveyard where people the only people who are allowed to be buried there are victims of the revolution or their family and he had a lot of his wife's family were like Guillotined in the first French Revolution, they, like the first time they tried to like throw things off, and so mm. he's buried there. And there's like a daughter's of the American Revolution tribute there. There's they're taking care of his grave. There's an American flag there. I stood in the rain in Paris and I cried over this general's grave. And I, like that is not a thing I would have done without listening to Hamilton and actually learning about everything he did for the U.S. and for France. He was an amazing human being, and I, I like I, I knew his name. And that was it, like from history, yeah. like way to go yeah. public school. <laughs>
0: exactly. They they should just yeah. teachers should have just wrapped the the stories to us at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, it
1: would have worked. <laughs> but, <laughs> um,
0: but no, yeah, I I agree with you. I think there there's a lot in here that is historically accurate that I you know yeah. sort of looked up and was like, oh, okay, so Philip Philip uh, Philip Hamilton was really 19 like his dad, he didn't just fudge the age. So they were both 19 because of the parallel between father and son or like, um, and I sort of knew this from some of the, again, some of the YouTube videos I'd seen, that uh, the one last time, the whole speech is basically a truncated version of the actual speech that Hamilton wrote for for Washington, his farewell address. Uh, You know, the fact that um, it was Hamilton's vote uh that that put Jefferson kind of over the top in the uh in the, the election of eighteen hundred. Um <laughs> and uh yeah so so much of that I think you know he really just kind of plays up the the drama of the rivalry between Burr and Hamilton that it necess- it wasn't necessarily this thirty year battle as it's as it's you know as it's shown here. It yeah. was not as epic of stakes. They weren't mortal frenemies basically in real life. <laughs> and, <to> the same <laughs> and there was yeah. actually a period of, I think a few years or at least a couple years between the election and the duel. Like it wasn't necessarily about the election. It was, there was yeah. some other thing that instigated it, but it was yeah. probably a contributing factor. And yeah, I'm
1: sure he didn't Hamilton, let
0: go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hamilton probably, I think, I think I read somewhere. No, it was, um, there was a great, drunk history with Lynn Manuel telling the story yes. of the Reynolds pamphlet. Um, but yeah so he he has he was the kind of person that would have you know a list of 30 years of disagreements you know
3: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so it's it feels very true to who the man was and yeah. and to you know to his story and to to the important points of it. Uh that being said it is interesting that the way the way the film addresses Aaron Burr as a character who yeah. I knew as the guy that killed Alexander Hamilton because of the got milk commercial the like milk 20 commercial, years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, that yeah. that. Yeah. He shot Hamilton. I remember that. Um, yeah. but, and obviously he's his rival in this. Do you think, do you see him as a villain? Do you see him as more sympathetic? Which of the two men do you actually identify with more? Cause for me, a lot of times, I think it's Aaron Burr because I find myself being the kind of person that's like, oh, I should do this. Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to wait for it. Um, just make sure it's the right opportunity. <laughs> which, which, Do you connect to his journey or Hamilton's and do you think he's the villain in this?
1: Um, I definitely connect more to Hamilton's. I have said so many things that I should have just like, you know, did you really have to? Did you really have to say that? Did you have to put all that out there? Like that's mm-hmm. that's a problem for me. I identified <laughs> with with his whole, like, you know what, I'm gonna tell everybody everything, and then that'll be that. Uh, I get that. Um, so I definitely identify more with Hamilton as far as that goes. But I have to say, I don't feel like Burr is like a true villain in the show i feel like he's very sympathetic and even though he you know he's killing our hero like it it's it they go out of their way to like make sure you know that it's more complicated than what you think and right. i actually think from everything i've learned because this made me research a million things i think aaron burr was a way worse guy in real life than he is in the show like i think i mean he was tried for treason. Like he right. was way worse than just dueling people and and being a the first real politician of being like, you know what, I'm just gonna say what gets me elected and not what I really care about because I'm just in it for the power. Um, you know, like he's just being a politician that we know from day to day now, but I think he was way worse as <laughs> a real life person than he is in Hamilton.
0: Yeah, that's a good point the 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 politician part of his real life persona the whole talk less smile more uh approach i i think why so many creative minded people podcasters writers actors etc are are drawn to this is because i feel i feel like i'm kind of having that constant battle between the burr side and the hamilton side like I'm really, you know, involved in a project. I need to stay up all night to finish it. Or like, uh, you know, insecurity. Nobody wants to read yeah. this or nobody wants to, yeah. you know what? I, and, and I think that's <laughs> real for me, like the real emotional hook that keeps me coming back. And so like, I understand Burr kind of admires and resents Hamilton at the same time. Exact same time. Uh, yeah. And yeah. and sort of that inner battle, you know, he wants to be Hamilton, but he's not Hamilton. He's Burr. And he can't yeah. seem to get that working for him. Um, and and so I just, I just love that, that part of it. And Leslie Odom Jr. is, would probably be my MVP, uh, just because he makes that character so, so, so empathetic. And, uh, yeah, I, I love his performance and, uh, and his songs, especially.
1: Yeah, he's, he's incredible. His face when Hamilton is like announcing his vote basically is just like, oh my God, like it's, Like, you know how the show is going to end. First of all, everyone's seen the Got Milk commercial. And second of all, he tells you in the opening song, like, how the show is going to end. You know what's coming. But, like, you just, you see it start building in that moment where it's just like, he's just breaking down and he's shifting from, like, a little annoyed to very angry to just despondent. And now he's just settling into this rage he has with him. And it just, he he's able to do all that, and then immediately in that moment of regret, make you like kind of forgive him almost. Where mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, he didn't mean to. Like you're just like, oh no, like he's he's an incredible performer, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's so impressive what he can do, and he can dance yeah, on the table too, man.
2: <laughs>
0: right, right. Time to <laughs> jump right with the tablecloth. <laughs> yeah. um, that's probably one of the clips I've gone back and watched the most to go back to the richness of the soundtrack, Your yeah. Obedient Servant is one of the, I, I tend to, when I'm listening to the soundtrack, unless I'm ready to to feel a lot, I kind of cut it off soon after, like basically after the Reynolds pamphlet, because then yeah. it's just like really intense until the end. So a lot yeah. of those songs, the last like 10 songs or whatever, I haven't heard, listened to as much. And Your Obedient mm-hmm. Servant, I think is one that I've sort of come back around to. And I, and and, uh, it's like, like that you're saying that simmering rage of that. He just starts out just mildly pissed off. And then by the end, it's like this guy, I'm taking him out. Uh, yeah. and that the way that he, you know, the way that he, he kind of convinces himself to go through with the duel, uh, and then immediately regrets it. And then yeah, yeah there, here it is to come back to your point of who tells your story. That's the moment that ends up defining him you know, forget, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, his, his other accomplishments in the show, what a, what a shitty person he was in real life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah. that's what, Oh, Aaron Burr, the guy that shot Alexander Hamilton, then, you know, yeah. now he's the villain in our history books. Yeah. And I, and I think that's such a powerful statement to make that about, you know, the legacy we leave, but that's cause that's the whole thing. These two men obsessed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Eliza says about, about Hamilton, you know, obsessed with your legacy. With the yeah. with my writing the rounds, I'm like, no, no, they can't think that of me. I'm going to lay it all out there, only thinking of what his reputation is. And mm-hmm. I what do you? How do you? You know, as a creative person, what <laughs> is sort of your thoughts on that theme of legacy and and how you're remembered? And and uh, it's because that's really powerful note to end the the music on.
1: Oh yeah, it's it it just. It escalates so much emotionally at the end there because it really does have you thinking back about everything you've seen thus far in the show, everything you knew about any of these people before you saw the show. You're just sort of like, oh, like, I, I, you don't think about how what you know about that is somebody else. Like, you're just like, oh, yeah, I learned this thing about history and I learned about this person. And you don't think of them as a person. You think of them mm-hmm. as like this person fact from the past that you learned. And we'll all be a fact from the past someday. And and that's that's kind of what the show is putting on you as the audience member at the end is like you've got to do the best you can with what you're living your life with. Like you have to live your life the best possible way because you don't get to decide which parts of it are the parts that continue. Like that's not up to you. So at least put the best you can out there and I I think that's kind of like a big part of the message is like he says like what is a legacy like it's it's everything else it's the other people you leave behind and you have to leave them something good to work with so it's it, it leaves you with a a mission as you're leaving as uh as the show's finishing like you you can't just turn it off and be like okay I'm going to go like mobile on now like you're like no I have to do something with my life <laughs> it's very inspiring
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and and as you know, to go back to the got milk commercial for one last time, uh, uh, one last time, the references just kind of fall out out on accident. It's so easy. (laughs) Um, No, it's just like the last few months. My, you know, we're I'm just talking to my wife, whatever, and she'll say something, and it reminds me of a line in Hamilton, and she's now so tired of hearing about Hamilton over the last three months because I'm just like constant, nonstop um, with the references. (laughs) But, but going into this, most people just know Hamilton as the guy that was killed by Aaron Burr. But by yeah. seeing this, you realize, oh, there was a lot more to Aaron Burr. And this dude that mm-hmm. was, is on our $10 bill accomplished so much with our financial system. Like, yeah, yeah. he made mistakes. They're, they were both very flawed people. And I feel like, you know, we talk about this uh, on the episode, that the show tries to, tries to kind of present both it tries to kind of have a non-partisan view on a lot of the, you know, both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, there's I feel like there's moments where we are obviously we're rooting, rooting, for Hamilton, but there's moments where Hamilton is screwing up. And so it's like, yeah. I don't necessarily see Jefferson and Madison and Burr as villains either. You know, they're, they're yeah. opponents on this, on the, this grand political stage. So, that as a transition point, how is how is watching Hamilton in 2020 now so finally seeing the original cast? We're recording this days away from like a week away basically mm-hmm. from a huge election uh that will either change things one way or another, I guess. Uh how was it informed <laughs> or affected your, you know, the way you interpret the political situation now?
1: Yeah. Um I, it's it's so tough to say because like, in in an ideal world, this would just be the story of some one particularly crazy time in American politics and there's always just right. going to be another one. And, you know, when you're learning American history and at some point you figure out that the Democrats and the Republicans just swapped and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a weird thing to learn about American history and American politics. And also within the course of Hamilton the Musical, James Madison is a Federalist and then he's a Democratic-Republican. Like, he's you know doing his thing burst which is parties like they 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 do a lot to explain like the two party system like ha- it's born out of like this not knowing what to do in the beginning and i think a lot of hamilton is aspirational and idealistic about what politics can be and about how they can be about making change and not about this party says this, this party says that. It's working towards something positive. And I'd, I'd like to think that that's a a bipartisan sentiment. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately, 2020 doesn't feel that way because this yeah. show is also so much about valuing the lives of people of color and the contributions to society of people of color. And unfortunately, that has become bipartisan and... And uh, it seems like if you believe that, you're on one side. And uh, that's just r- r- like a huge bummer for society <laughs> at large now. Because um, I think like truly the ideals should be for anyone. Um, it's, it's not about like what political party Hamilton is in. And um, it, it kind of points out how silly those are. So I think, I, th- I hope that one day we can come out of you know, whatever we're in now and and come back to a place where just progress seems possible. And uh, that would be cool. (laughs) I'd really (laughs) like to see that. So crossing my fingers.
0: I I really love, first of all, we saw, at least I watched, you know, the the first debate, the town hall thing, and uh, and the second uh, that was supposed to be the third debate, and I didn't see any rap battling, so that's the first no. major disappointment.
1: No, uh, it's <laughs> such a disappointment. It's uh, I I don't understand how like no one is being welcome to a cabinet meeting the way I've heard it through this show. I like, think
0: <laughs> I think that was when you know I asked you earlier when you you like really fell for Hamilton, and having never seen any version of it until Disney Plus, I was really into. The whole first act, uh, again, but it takes some time to kind of wash over you to really appreciate all the intricacies of it. I think it was yeah. the first cabinet battle where I was like, oh my God, and the cabinet battles are rap battles? Okay, sold. Yeah. like That was where I, it crystallized. And I was like, okay, this is like my religion now is Hamilton. Yeah, um,
1: See, it's so good.
0: <laughs> it is so good. And and, and I love how the, the first act is all about kind of the um, you know the purity in trying to get freedom and independence and you know we sort of mentioned the Yorktown the the, the we won yeah. thing uh, which mm. is so is super inspiring and way more yeah. way, way more patriotic than anything happening now but then in the second act you get all the messiness of uh, mm-hmm. of the two of the parties and the arguing and then the double dealing and this person's getting dirt on this person and and yeah. everybody has to, wants to be in the room where it happens. Uh, And and I love that this the show reflects both halves of what politics and and what it should be and what it and what it kind of actually Devolved into sort of the the more things change the the more they stay the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah Yeah, it's really true. It's I mean It's it's like all everything washington is saying to hamilton. It's like yeah, no, this is the hard part No governing is harder. Like here we go now. You thought that was hard. Now we're getting into it and I, I just yeah i re- I really love I always kind of struggle with the the separation between the two acts because I was like, well, it should like just end after Battle of Yorktown, like it should just switch immediately there, and I'm like, no, no, you need the setup, like you need the mm-hmm. setup of like they're trying to figure out life and like they're escalating their their role in society and and i, I just love the way it comes back with just Jefferson, you like hey <laughs> 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 sauntering down those stairs uh yeah it's it's an, a nice kind of separation between the struggle for something and then the struggle to do something with what you've gotten. Um, two totally different battles, but both equally mm-hmm. important.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's the key to nonstop and why that's like low, that's low key become one of my favorite ones over, over yeah. the course of the last couple of months, because it is that, all these characters are so burdened with purpose and pressure and again Mm -hmm. the legacy and the the weight of what what they can the difference they can make in the position that they're in or Mm -hmm. not or or they could just kind Mm -hmm. of you know be complacent and and uh you know talk less and smile more kind of thing (laughs) and and i and i love that 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 it's it ends not on that moment of triumph but that moment of oh shit what do we do now basically
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i I, yeah. yeah um I had one final question. I sort of already told you what it is. Uh, before <laughs> we get to that, is there anything about Hamilton that we haven't covered that you wanted to you wanted to shout out?
1: Ah, uh, no, no, we we covered it. <laughs>
0: nice. Cool. So, uh, so what I did with the the earlier recording is that I went around and I had everyone tell people where they can find you on social media and what you think Eliza's gasp uh, in the show's final moment. Uh, what is the significance of that? Because we actually. Sort of. Some of us talked about how Eliza, in a way, is kind of the main character of the show, and I pointed out that she is technically a Hamilton. Hamilton. Uh, So you know, it's like it's like you know, Lady Wan should understand this. It's like Star Wars. You go in, and one the Phantom Menace means one thing, and then you come out, and it's another. So it's kind of like a Star Wars title conceit in that. Oh, the last Jedi must be Luke. Oh no, it's Ray. You know that kind of thing. Uh, so yes. I feel like Hamilton tries to pull a similar trick on us. So uh, so once again, where can people find you on social media? Eliza's gasp, explain. <laughs>
1: um, so you can find me uh, on Twitter at the Wan. That's W-A-N. And you can find my show on Twitter and Instagram at ScreenFixPod. Uh, all kinds of fun stuff over there. And I think... Um, I think I'm on the same page as a lot of people about Eliza's gasp at the end. I think you and I actually talked about this when we were getting ready to record when you were guesting on my show earlier in the year, that we had both been like down at YouTube. Uh, for me, it was a TikTok yep. poll on like what is happening. And I truly want to subscribe to the belief that at the end, that's not Hamilton anymore, that that's Lin-Manuel Miranda guiding Eliza to see, to break the fourth wall that she's seeing the audience and that the whole world knows his story now because of what her work was after he died. And that's that's what I have to believe. Otherwise, I will just like cry like ugly, sad tears instead of ugly, happy tears. I need it to be.
0: Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think it's sort of, uh, I think a big part of what inspired Lin to do the musical is that he, you know, he read the Ron Chernow biography and he was like, wow, this guy lived such an incredibly rich life that I had no idea about. And uh-huh. so th- creating this, this show is bringing that story to light, like obviously creating this great music and and performances and all that. But also like, hey, now people know now when people think Hamilton, they're not gonna think, oh, the Got Milk commercial, they're gonna be, oh, the musical where they, you know, the Reynolds pamphlet (laughs) and all this other stuff. Lafayette, um, Hercules (laughs) Mulligan, all that stuff. Like they're gonna know all the characters and people involved because this ended up being such an epic success. Yeah, I think I I think we all sort of said some variation on that. It's definitely a fourth wall about look, this is an audience here that came to see to hear about what you accomplished in your husband's legacy and, and all yeah. of that, that it wasn't in vain, that it's being passed down.
1: Yeah, like and she yeah, I did got,
0: it. I got a little chills just saying it, explaining it. I have it's good really, yeah.
1: all over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it's, so, just,
2: it's so good.
0: It's it's great and and that's what I you know I wanted to talk about Hamilton. It's been a big focus of mine the last few months, and with Election Day this going up either right before or on Election Day, it just felt so potent to and, yeah. and so appropriate to um, to use this show to mark that occasion. So uh, thanks, thank you, the Lady Wan for coming on. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sort of after the fact, but you're still in the episode. You're still part of it. And I mean, I'm like the you know,
1: mixtape. Is that how this is? Kind
0: of, I guess. Yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> you are kind of the Hamilton mixtape. Um, I want to do more crooked roundtables. I have an idea for what I might want to do the next one on. Uh, so then, you know, I'll definitely keep you in mind for, for next time. But uh, but yeah, so this was fun. And uh, definitely people listening to this, go watch Hamilton at Disney+. Plus. But before you do that, go vote. Very important.
1: <laughs> yes, <please>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Who
3: tells
0: your story? If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at Patreon.com slash table. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at CrookedTable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob.
2: This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>